Hey everybody, welcome to the Not Nostalgia Podcast. A podcast where we discuss the retelling or continuation of pop culture favorites as seen through a queer and feminist lens. My name is Eric Lefebri. And I'm Jessica Tercero. And this week we're joined by... Danny, Danny. Barkley in the house. Hi. What, 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 what? Hi, hello. hello, hi. Our first ever guest. Look at this. Hi, hello. We're so excited. And also our producer. Yes. I'm here to just check up on you guys and make sure you're doing a good job and not you. wasting anybody's time. Just kidding. I love you guys. Except for yours when you edit all of the things. <laughs> no, I, no. I love, oh I love doing it. So, Danny, who are you? Um, I, I don't know. I'm an editor of this podcast. I uh, Producer is a loose term, but I guess I'm into it. I am a professor at a college. And, and that's not important. It doesn't matter. I don't need to say all that. I'm going to cut that out. Hey, Danny, cut that out. I love you. Um, <laughs> yeah, just uh, editor is fine. Okay, cool. So, um, Danny asked specifically to be on this podcast because this week we are talking about Tron! Tron, 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 Tron! And Tron Legacy. Yes. So, Tron 1982, and then Tron Legacy, what was that, 2010? 2010. That's almost been 10 years. Dang. Can you guys believe that? Oh, really? Yeah. Shit. Almost 10 years. A a lot of this podcast just turns into you guys talking about, like, can you believe that was that long ago? Yeah. It's like, yeah. Well, it's like... It's, it's wait. Is, oh, that's why we call. Oh, yeah. okay. Wow. I also have no idea how time works. Also, time is an illusion. So Timey-wimey. that's true. That's that's yeah. you know, especially time when you're in the, the digital realm. Truly, yeah. Railroads, you know, magnets. How do they work? I know. Like, <gasps> do you guys think time works the same or differently in the digital world? Oh, it works. It works. Oh, it works differently. It works differently. Because didn't they, they say? They yeah. That. yeah. We are okay. getting way ahead of ourselves. Okay. Love it. All right. So, anyways, we have. Hella stuff to talk about. So let's do it. Let's get into it. Okay. All right. So first we're going to talk about Tron, the 1982 Disney film. In an attempt to discover proof that his life's work has been stolen, Kevin Flynn, a jilted ex-employee of tech giant Encom, gets sucked into the digital world while trying to hack into his old company's mainframe. While imprisoned there, he makes friends with two programs, Tron and Ram, who escape their digital prison through a literal crack in the code. It is revealed that the MCP, Master Control Program, which dominates the digital world, is now attempting to dominate the physical world as well, and only Flynn and his new friends can stop it. Hijinks ensue. End End of of line. line. Okay, cool. So let's talk about this here movie. Tron. I'm so excited. I know. First of all, I want to say that I watched this as like a teenager. Okay. And I loved it Mm -hmm. then. And that's important because you have never seen it. I've never seen it. I've never seen the original or the other. I haven't seen any Tron-related anything. I may have played the video game once, one time, at one point, probably, because I think that visual is still in my head. Mm -hmm. But it could also just be commercials or pictures (laughs) or whatever. My brain is a very wild place, so I could be making (laughs) things up as I go. I have no idea. What about you, Danny? Uh, I saw this movie as a young teenager, maybe 20 years ago, and never again since. So when we watched it the other day, it was a, like seeing it for the first time through new eyes. Ooh. Behind those hazel eyes. Yeah, that's what the song's about. Those flavor yeah. eyes. <laughs> it's about seeing Tron again after years and years. <laughs> oh, Kelly. Uh, okay. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of stuff to talk about. So first, let's just get straight into it. Tron is a computer cop. The yes. program Tron. The, the program yeah, Tron. Yeah, the, the program Yeah, yeah, Tron. Okay. Yeah. He's a cop. He's totally a cop. Straight up, yeah. Like, he's a security program. He's also, like, super cold. Yeah. 
even like his friends are like presumably dead and he's just like yep and he just like keeps going towards his, doesn't like check on him or anything he's just like he is very single-minded and he's very black or white in like how he decides what justice is oh for sure yeah yeah there's no gray area where and it's i think it's really interesting because a lot of the other programs in this film are compassionate or have personalities so rom is very like I'm an accounting program helping people save for retirement or whatever, you know? Yeah. And then Lori, when we meet her later, she's very... It's... it's Sorry, it's Yori. Oh, Yori, it's sorry. It's Yori? Yori, Lori. You mean Mai? Laura is the real world woman and Yori is the program version Oh, so I just like gave them a celebrity name. Yeah, you gave them a celebrity oh, couple cute. name. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, oh, I, I mean, all of them pretty much are shadows of each other selves, which we'll which get Which we're going to get into, I'm pretty sure. But yeah, so um, she's very compassionate once she realizes who Tron is. But then even Dillinger's mirror, I forget what his name is. Sark. Sark, that's right. He is also just very angry. Like, they, they all have these, they're all so in touch with their purpose, with their emotion, right? But Tron, his whole purpose is just to pass judgment. So that's why he's so cold, because justice has to be blind, maybe? Do you think that's why? I don't know, because, like, his mirror in the real world, Alan, I mean, he's also a cop, right? Yeah. He's a <laughs> he's- turd, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, what do I have in my notes for him? I have, Alan is everyone's dad, hates games, hates fun, also a cop. Truly, yeah. He's the one who'll buy you, like, one thing on Christmas, but then return it because you don't deserve it. <laughs> you know what I mean? He'll, like, he'll give you that hope and then take it away. And he's like, no. You're not yeah. worth this. And you're like, oh my god, stop. <laughs> and yeah. it's not even like a toy, right? It's No! Like, it's, um... it's like a toothbrush. And you're like, I actually need that, dad. <laughs> Jesus. You, you didn't work I mean? hard enough for you it. You didn't work hard enough for your oral health. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's important to point out, that Alan himself is kind of a shit. Because, yeah. I mean, he programmed Tron, and Tron is the literal, literally physically represented by him in the digital world, like all the programs are. Because Tron's, the actual program's purpose is to monitor connections between programs to look for things that shouldn't be there, he says. So he's supposed to be kind of this impartial kind of judge sort of, yeah, like a a cop, basically. Mm -hmm. Supposed to be impartial. Yeah. Supposed to be. But yeah, isn't that the thing? Because, and I think this is something that carries through to like later films too, or the later film, where justice is subjective. And Mm. what you think is right might not be somebody else's reality, may not be somebody else's what is right. So who gets to decide what is right and what is wrong? But, I mean, but he is fighting against the Master Control Program, MCP, right. who is unobjectively bad. Yeah, I not think. to be confused with ICP. Right. I already I had a joke <laughs> in my notes that when we're going to say MCP, I was going to say that's my favorite rapper. Oh, love it. Beat me to it. That's your sister. Very okay. good, too. We both got there. It's fine. It's we fine. both get credit. We're, we're all working <laughs> together here. Yeah, MCP is unobjectively bad. So... I mean, Tron does pass down that judgment. Yes. It's just the way he goes about it, I guess, is it makes him very cop-like. And, like, I mean, he's doing a good thing overall for the digital world. But, yeah, he's just very detached, right? Yes, that's a good way to put it. Um, he doesn't allow himself to see things from a nuanced perspective. It's always either, yes, this is good, yes, this is bad. And he doesn't show any emotion other than, like, the only time he shows emotion is when he gets access to that pure power Right. Oh, the uh, the computer water. water? To the, yeah. yeah, to the to the stream of life. I the mercury the that they drink. Yeah, with yeah. Their hands. He's like he's like <laughs> fucking face in. Right, yeah. and that's the only time we see him smile. Other than when he's on his mission, and then he sees that his friends aren't dead, and he's like, "Oh, cool!" It's so unceremoniously just he smiles, and that's just proof in itself that it's a big thing. Yeah, I guess, you know, it impacted him in some big way. 
Yeah, but that's yeah. the only time that he really shows emotion. Because mm-hmm. again, is for power and for friendship. I was going to say like a cop, but I would only say the power part. <laughs> if this were, if this were the case, I mean, they're like his like unofficial deputies, right? Because they're also yeah. cop friends, cop buds, cop buddy buds. cops. Yeah, <laughs> it's really a buddy cop movie. If you think, yeah, about it. it is a between Flynn and yeah. Oh, that's very good. <laughs> Between Dillinger and the MCU, or the, <laughs> M- M- what is it? MCP. MCP. <laughs> the Marvel notes, Cinematic Universe. She keeps calling it MCU also. I, <laughs> in my notes, like, I had it, like, written as MCU everywhere, and yeah, yeah. I'm I'm all fucked up, too. It's okay. Totally. I mean, it's owned by Disney, you never know. Da-da-da. It's true. I want to point out something that I thought was hilarious because, I mean, it's largely male cast, as we know, but the first time we see, like, a female actor in this, she gets mansplained to the hardest. Oh, my God. And I think I wrote it down nearly verbatim. So they're about to, what is it? Uh, she says, here goes nothing. And then he comes up behind her. Interesting. What we propose to do is change something into nothing. What you should have said was, here goes something. Here comes nothing. And I was just like, you need to fucking not. Fucking like- right? And well, this whole time, this whole time, this guy isn't actually doing anything. He's just judging her work. Yeah. And then he's like, like his big contribution to this whole thing is setting the orange down. Oh right, but like the whole time, it, and I mean later it's established that he created the whole thing or whatever. Yeah, but like still, like he's just standing over her shoulder, like, well, actually, actually, you're a fuckhead, oh and you need god. to, you need to stop. Oh my god, it was so annoying. And he, then like even later on, he's the gatekeeper. Yeah, which right? makes sense. He's a Literally, literal literal gatekeeper. gatekeeper. Yep. And the only reason that they're allowed entry is because she kind of like cries, right? Or yeah. like she, like I mean, not cries, but she's just like, oh please, please, and he's like. Well, okay. Yeah. <sighs> that was, I, yeah. I thought even, that was funny. even after um, Alan and Flynn get there and they're talking uh, to each other, he just keeps popping into frame. This crazy old Wizard of Oz man <laughs> just keeps popping into frame like, well, actually, meh, yeah. this is how computers work. Meh, see? Yeah. Yeah. He just, he won't ever go away and it's very annoying. Yeah. He needs you to know that he's smarter than you. <laughs> even the whole sequence where he's, he's the gatekeeper of the tower and they go up to him and he's embedded in the stairs or something, whatever that was. He's just literally, it's, that's the Wizard of Oz scene. No one gets in to see the wizard. Yeah. You yeah. can't talk to your user. Well, also the look of it when they first approach him, he's in that like big, like kind of dome thing with like the big mm-hmm. pillars above. And he's very high and up. He, he's very high up. It also looks very small in there. It mm-hmm. felt, it did feel like a very like, oh, that is wizardy. Yeah. 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 He's just there to be kooky. He kind of actually reminded me of, like, the caterpillar from uh, <gasps> Alice in Wonderland. I like that. Because he was still, oh, yeah. like, hunched over and stuff and just, again, kind of kooky and, like, yeah. who are you? <laughs> just stoned the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Just, like, hella, I don't know, what do old people take? Prozac? I, <laughs> I was, was going to say Xanax, but that's a young kid's game now. So oh, that's true, yeah. I don't know what he's taking. Or partying. <laughs> he's taking drugs. <laughs> of some one kind. of those weekday pill bottles where he has to crack it open every day. Whatever oh, it yeah. is, it's in there. Uh, crack it open a... a pill one with the boys. That's yeah. a pill yeah. one. <laughs> I'm going to cut that out. Thanks. <laughs> I think you should leave it. Crack out. open a pill one with the boys. <laughs> oh, no. Oh. Okay. So... That kind of leads us to our next point, right? Where, like, the first time we're introduced to women in this film, or a woman, the yeah. singular woman in this film, yeah. is when she's being mansplained by some dude. And this is her baby. Like, this whole laser thing, like, she did all of this, and yeah. she's the scientist. She tells Flynn, this is my life's work. Yeah. Yeah. Another example of a dude using a woman's life's work to fucking... Ugh. Because yeah. he's... 
when they go to hack into the system, she says, this is my life's work. And then she just walks away because now he's allowed to use it. Yeah. Like, I created this whole thing and it's mine. It's my baby. Well, I guess do a good job with it. Bye. Bye bye. Yeah. The women don't get to ever in, in this film and other films, but like they're not allowed to like see their project to fruition. They're, it's like they are just making these things for men to use because they are treated as plot devices really yeah oh yeah like you know like she's the love interest which this whole weird ass love triangle that For i want to get of them. oh my god I get into oh my god later no. yeah later it's real bad but even when he like finds her in the digital realm he finds yori and she's like oh okay and she's just literally like i don't know if the coast is clear let me check and she's going down she's putting herself in danger before. she's a badass yeah she's she's fucking great but like the, the dudes don't even care. Like, this isn't really her mission, but then they, like, find her, and she's like, oh, yeah, okay, cool, let's go. Sure. And then she's like, cool, I don't know if it's clear, hold up. Yeah. And then she, like, goes down, and it's like, damn, bitch. They, yeah, they totally abuse her, like, her skill, her power, her knowledge. Again, like you said. Using it's sort of knowledge. It's not even just time. using her as a plot device, it's using her as a prop, but also just using her as, yeah, I guess as a prop, right? For whatever good that can, whatever good she has that they can use, that's why she's there. Well, for and them. she's also supposed to pit the two main guys against each other, right? Oh, for the, in, in the love way. In the, in the is, love way. Because yeah. she, when we're first introduced to Flynn, it's like 20 minutes into the film. We've heard about him, we kind of know about him, right? And our first real introduction to him is he's being like what every tech bro aspires to be. Yeah. Chilling with a bunch of women, watching him play video games, like making hella bank, living on top of his whatever. And he just kind of has like women hanging around him yeah. all the time. But then when she walks back into his life and he knows that she's with this dude, his response is like, oh, does she still leave her clothes laying everywhere? Like yeah. it's, he, he says as he takes off his own shirt in his yeah. room in yeah! front of her. So he can do it, but he also wants to make sure the other guy in the room knows that they've been together. Oh, it's like, a power move. I just, I just need you to know. It's a power move, which is just... Well, there's that even that line when they're talking about hacking in, and Laura says, oh, he had access. And then Alan goes, yeah, he had access to you, too. Ugh. Oh, yeah, that oh. was so... Oh, that was the worst. It's Com- like... Oh, my God. They're making conflict where conflict doesn't need to be, and that's all just... Uh, again, patriarchy, yeah. right? That's well, all just like alpha male bullshit. And why why does he need her when he clearly like has women just kind of falling all over him? Also, falling over him, and I want to point this out very clearly, for beating what looks like a Star Fox 64 single minion <laughs> as the final boss. And he just like turns a corner. There's literally nothing happening. And there's one guy. And he's like, boop, 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 boop. And they're just like... 900 million points! And he's like, yeah, that's me. And you're like, oh my god. This that's is- what video games are like. You beat one level and women just fall I over you. I guess that. that, that that's I mean, how it happens in their heads, apparently. Well, that's what, ha- yeah. I mean, I, that's what I've heard, at least in real life. That's what yeah. happens. <laughs> <laughs> in my notes, I have that Flynn is discounting Han Solo. Yeah. Oh, well, wait. Do we want to get into that? I mean... Now's a good time? Oh, uh, well... Oh, is it not? I don't know, because I do want to point out one other thing yeah, about the women in this film. I mean, there's a lot to say. So. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, well, there is a lot to say. And so there, we have the one woman. There's only one other shot where we really see women. It's when he finds Yori, uh, when Tron finds Yori, and she's in this, because uh, they're all she's doing clerical work, right, mm-hmm. like overseeing. Those are all women. Oh, okay. Yeah, at the console where they're all, like, typing in. They're basically typing. They're receptionists or secretaries or operators. Like, old-timey, like, 1950s phone operators, basically. 
and it's all women. You can tell because their uh, their costumes are different, their helmets are different, which yeah. in itself is interesting. It's the same like in video games where if you're a female character, your armor is different because it has to show your cleavage. Yeah. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Like for this movie, the female costumes are also different, and their helmets are different. And it's just like okay, well you have to do identify yourself from far away as being separate. Yeah. Kind of thing. So yeah, and like Ugh. also. It's so hard because, like, when she's first introduced, we don't get a name. She's just a person. For Laura, you mean? Yeah. The the actual woman. Yeah. Yeah. And we get Yori at one hour and 13 minutes in the film. Yeah, she's a little late to the party. Yeah. But she goes that long in this film without having her own name. And the only part of her that gets... Because I don't think they ever call, like, Lori... Laura. Laura. They never. Hugh Laurie. It's so it's so forgetful. It's such a. I think uh, maybe say her name once, maybe in the mansplaining scene. I'm not sure. I but. mean, maybe, but like, she's never really allowed to be a person. She's just oh, yeah. kind of there, and she's just so forgettable. It's yeah. so hard to remember well, her name. Well, Laura, but the Yori is a badass. Like she is more adventurous than Tron. She knows her way around better. She has more plans and ideas. Like he just has this general cop mentality of I need to save the day. Mm-hmm. But then he's like, but I don't know what to do. And then she's like, oh, we have to go here. She jumps down the little ravine first. Mm -hmm. She has all the plans. She knows where to go. She knows what to do. Like, she is much more informed about the digital world than he is. But she's also so one-dimensional. She doesn't really have a personality. She doesn't have anything. She literally serves to get the male hero to where he needs to go because he needs her knowledge in order to get to where he needs to be. Right, yeah. She's, and then at you, the end, she's a prize for fucking both of them. Yeah. And so you're talking about her being adventurous and everything, right? Mm. But then what the fuck when she's in that ship about to be deleted mm-hmm. with Flynn, right? Yep. And if she's this true adventurous person that you know we think that she is or that they tried to build her out to be, she just fucking sits in the corner and cries. She gives up, yeah. And yeah. then she's brought back to life by Flynn, and she's like, oh my god, thank you so much, yeah, I'm I'm ready. But so she's, I, what the fuck? Is that, all I have to say. And then, and then he like kisses her yeah. too, and it's just like, well, it's mm. it, like, and I fucking hated that because like, and then at the end, there's that throwaway line when she kisses Tron and is like, I thought you were dead. We thought you were dead. <laughs> and that's supposed to make it okay. It's like, almost like this was written by a man. Mm. Can you believe it? Oh, my God. It's almost as mm. if this person only sees women as romantic objects and people to steal from. Well, the writer of the movie, but then also the man in the movie because oh, yeah. Tron is a representation of Alan's program. Yes. And Flynn, I guess, is still Flynn because he's a, a user. But, yeah, so it's both the meta of it, of the actual writer of the movie, but then the men who write the programs as well only see, even in the digital world, women are still just secretaries. So the programs are written to reinforce those stereotypes. Truly. And even when Flynn first meets her in the digital world or meets Yori, that weird little interaction where he's, like, wide-eyed going up to her and then uh, Tron's just, like, in between them being like, Like, hey, hey, stop. He's, like, super animalistic predator, like, kind of just, like... Because I think they're trying to imply that, like, oh, this is the person I know in real life. But he's still trying to, what looks like, come on to her in this way that he did with Laura in the real world, right? Well, and I think that maybe has to do with, maybe not as animalistic, but maybe, like, more ownership. Because she was his at one point, and now she's somebody else's, and he just doesn't want to have to... 
he he doesn't like that because he also doesn't respect this dude. And I think that's more of the bigger narrative because he feels like he's the alpha because he's got the cool shop and he is the one that should be the CEO of Encom and he should have the girl and he should have this. So that, like, she's not really a person to him because, like, we don't ever get, like, any sort of romantic inkling from her. From her end, yeah. Yeah. And she's just kind of like, yeah, whatever, I don't care. But, like... She's just another thing that was taken from him. Yes. And that's how she's treated. That's how he treats her. So it's just objectification. Yes. Yeah. I almost didn't believe what was happening at the end. I kind of had to rewind it when she kissed him. I was like, did I miss something? Because that doesn't, that feels so just like, why? And it's like, even if Tron had just died and then she's dead and gets brought back to life and she's like, oh, my life. But also like, Okay, sure. And then, like, and then he's like, I'm going to go save the world and, like, dives into the thing. And then afterwards, it's like, you, and just like, yeah, I thought it's just, it's all, that was just the weirdest little ending at all. And then he's just like, I'm back in the real world. I have proof for my games. (laughs) Yeah, she's just objectified in this whole film. And she's meant to be a trophy. And women, they're just there to sacrifice themselves and let the men use them so that way they can be the hero. The men can be the hero. Because truly, Tron couldn't get to where he was going to go without her. Flynn never would have been able to do any of this stuff without her. She is the plot point that carries the movie forward because otherwise they'd be still at that fucking Mercury Lake chilling, right? Infinite power! (laughs) But, like, that's... She's the only thing that moves the plot forward at that point. True. Yeah, she is the only thing that's leading them. You just brought up the ending of the movie, which yeah. is super fucking abrupt. Yeah, it it's happens just, out of nowhere. He gets out of the digital world. He gets a fax from the MCP, I guess, or something. And then cuts to daytime in a helicopter. Hello, programs. Credits. Like, yeah. Right the fuck away. Truly. And the way that ends, for me, we're in the digital world the entire movie. Other than the first maybe 20 minutes, we're just thrown into this digital world. We form these relationships with these characters, and we have all these plot points of MCP and Stark and Yori and all them. But then we come out of it, and all that results from all this inner turmoil, all this war, all this protest, all this revolution in the digital world is that Kevin Flynn gets his vindication Yeah. of... Oh, yeah. Um, Dillinger stole your games, so you're good now. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's his whole motive the entire time, Yeah, and right? that's all that happens. So, so let's let's talk about Flynn now. So we've already established that he is, like, the godfather of all tech bros. And his whole motive, everybody else's motive in this thing is, like, justice or whatever. His whole motive is he wants his proof that he did this because people don't believe him. He needs right? personal vindication. Yeah. Yes. Well, but not just personal vindication. He needs everybody to fucking know what he did. Because it's not enough that he knows, and it's not enough, like, he just feels like the world wronged him and stuff like that. So he's trying to prove to everybody, look, I'm important. Look, I'm a fucking badass. You should love me. Mm-hmm. And, ah! He's- Which is what he craves, given that his fake rock star status while he's playing Star Fox or whatever the fuck he's playing. Yeah. Which was just, <laughs> like, so, I was, I, that made no sense to me. <laughs> he just gets his vindication, and then, okay, that's all we need. The story's over. Like, yeah. the story doesn't matter beyond Kevin Flynn getting what he wants. And they also don't talk a whole lot about like because the facts is just so matter of fact like here's your proof bye bye yeah clearance one bye yeah (laughs) okay i guess that that works we don't really get was there but like who okay well and the whole reason that we're supposed to care about this as the audience too is like because the mcp is now trying to take over the world right because he's dominated the digital world cool uh you humans aren't efficient i'm gonna make you efficient 
It's also really interesting that the AI is using the user, right? Oh, you're talking about uh, Dillinger? Yeah. Yeah. But, like, Dillinger also tries to pretend like he still has control, like his password is master, (laughs) you know, and he pretends that he could go home and that, like, his whole life is based on these lies, but he still pretends like, oh, no, it's fine. Like, this is never going to happen because I'm the user when he's really not. I thought that was really interesting. Well, because MCP, the Master Control Program, is just that whole universe they set up in the digital world is just a poor, not even a poorly veiled. It just literally is fascism. Like, look at all the metaphors we have for Nazis and fascism and totalitarian government. Oh, yeah. Of yeah. Like, I was even going to say, like, uprising of serfdom in a feudal system, right? Yeah, like any like, kind yeah. of... It's it's all... The, it's That's exactly what it Any kind like. of dictatorship or anything yeah. where there's one ruler at the top and everybody else gets shit on below, like, mm-hmm. that's what the whole thing is. Yeah. Like, even there's even scenes of, like, tanks roaming the streets when Tron and the boys escape. Oh, those red tanks? Yeah, tanks yeah. from roaming yeah. the streets yeah. are just, like, looking for them. That's extremely, like, occupation-era mm-hmm. type visuals. Totally. So, that's the way they make him evil, right? Is because the way that you can relate evil to American audiences especially in the 80s during the Cold War, is this idea of totalitarian tanks and big brothers watching, because yeah. you know, this is right around that time of mm-hmm. the, the book 1984, which was written before 84, but still, it's always the idea that you know someone's in control and you're not in control of yourself and someone's watching, and that's how you're supposed to scare American audiences for yeah. this movie of, look, it's the bad guys, you can tell because they want to control you. Yeah, yeah, and if you don't conform, then you're going to be killed. Yeah. And if you don't do, like, if you don't do what this person says, then... You're gone. And so it's interesting that the MCP is bringing that into the real world. And, like, the Dillinger guy, he never once asks anybody for help. He never once, like, tries to just fucking unplug the thing. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I was going to say, have you tried <laughs> unplugging it and plugging it back in? Yeah. Maybe that'll fix it. <laughs> but, um, so that's supposed to be our reason as the audience for wanting to see Tron and Flynn succeed. Yeah. But... The movie, even at the end, doesn't really give us any of that satisfaction. Exactly. It is just because Flynn is vindicated, so that's resolution. He is selfish. He is wrong. He is right. He swears he's right. Did you yeah. look up the lyrics to Vindicated? knew it all along. <laughs> no, I didn't. I just sing this song in my head all the time for some wacky reason. Anyways. But yes. you're right about that because <laughs> the, the resolution of the movie for us, the audience, is, oh, Flynn is vindicated. As far as what happens to the grid, the digital world... All we see is like a bunch of towers start lighting up and Tron goes, they're all talking to each other. Like, is that, is that what we were trying to save? Yeah. Is that the deal? Did we do it? Did we, we invented the internet? Yeah. Yeah. Like, cool, I guess. There's not really a lot of like description there of what happens to them. Well, but like, I think maybe because that comparison, like you were saying, is so in your face, right? With like fascism, totalitarianism. It's just kind of like once the bad guy is defeated, like you just think, okay, great. Everything is wonderful. There's no falling action because now now it's a utopia again, because like that's what we need to believe or that's what they wanted. Like it's just the easiest way out, I guess, for sure is a better way to put that. Yeah. And narratively, I mean, it's for I I mean, I don't want to like, well, I guess I will for such a simple story, for such a simple structure of narrative, right? For like hero's journey, vindication, all of that stuff is being like the main plot points here a happy ending makes sense like a nice little neat bow is just like oh he did it yay Mm -hmm. good for him he's gonna go and live his beautiful life happily ever after his cool helicopter his cool (laughs) helicopter and he lives in an arcade and like hangs out with cool kids and wears t-shirts look at him Mm -hmm. you know well and then also too like it's something to note that the other film does too is the whole film we do not see daylight everything is dark it's all like 
bluish blacks grays all of that even even in the real world right Mm -hmm. the only time that we see the sunlight is at that very last shot in the film that's it oh yeah because it's everything's like, okay now. It's a new day, a new and dawn. now the the veil has been lifted, and evil no longer looms. You know, evil's but, nighttime, goodness yeah. is daytime. Ugh. I do have something to say. They said something in here, or in the movie, in here, in this book, uh, in this movie. I feel like they were trying to set up some sort of narrative Wozniak Jobs dynamic. Oh, okay. Like what? Um, so he says very clearly, he's like, we're no longer in that garage. He's like, well, I wish we were back in that garage. He's like, that can be arranged. As sort of a way to, like, talk about possibly the falling out of Wozniak in that whole dynamic. And I know that was sort of, like, kind of ish during this time. I don't know exactly the timeline for it, but it seems like... Oh, you're talking about uh, Dillinger talking to the old Dillinger man? Dillinger talking to the yeah. old Yeah, the old man, man who started it all. Yes. Yeah. Which would have been, like... Sort of, he's Wozniak than the other guy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I feel like the back in that garage is sort of a very clear. It's a very, that maybe it's a hindsight thing for us now, knowing that like that's like one of the biggest companies in the world, if not the biggest, right? But I know that they did have like tech people involved with the writing of this film to try to like get it a little bit. Yeah, and then I think also just like with all the effects too, because didn't they have to color over every frame? Yeah, so they um, for when we were in the digital world. It was shot in black and white, and then animators went back in and colored every frame. Yeah. And they were snubbed for uh, the Academy Awards. Yes, they were. Because they were like, you can't use computers, that's cheating, that's blah, cheating. blah, blah. And a lot of animators, like, it was like everybody was up in arms because they're like, this is cheating, and, you know, like, this is going to replace animators, which it did, like, 20 years later, right? Yeah. It's just, well, it, it didn't really replace them, it just uh, it evolved animation yeah as we know it right Mm -hmm. and this film inspired john lasseter who was working at disney at the time to create pixar he saw that and he's like cool john lasseter is a fucking creep take it from me but yeah um we're not endorsing him no we're simply saying i absolutely do not endorse him (laughs) but yeah so like i mean the things that this film and the technology and what it did at the time it really it was kind of like a show of things to come i think and it kind of like pushed things a little bit forward and disney also didn't know who this movie was going to be for when they released it yeah there was like how do we market this what do we do and playboy tried to like <sighs> come up and they were like hey disney so i know you don't know who this is for but we'll go ahead and we'll do like you know uh, an issue we'll do like a thing and so they were going to have models like posing with circuit boards and stuff and Disney was like, <laughs> nothing. <sick. laughs> Isn't it? <laughs> that would oh my god, what? Okay, what a collector's piece that would have been. <laughs> the right? Tron issue of Playboy. Oh, man. Oh. But um, before we go back into, like, themes of the movie, I want to say how cool it is that fucking Wendy Carlos did the music for this. So I took digital recording classes. Wendy Carlos is the person that did Switched on Bach. You know when Moog was first coming out with their oh, yeah. uh, synths and everything? She was the person that like did Switched on Bach, which was like one of the first big, giant electronic music things. Oh, really? Yeah, and it's it's like super, 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 super famous, right? And she I'm also... I'm just like so subculture. I just like don't even know what that oh, is. Oh, man, it's so cool. <laughs> and she's, she's like a badass. Like this woman was like, oh, yeah, we're going to make music digitally now with a keyboard and stuff like that cool i got this that's, and it, like that's when you had to use like patch cables and shit for oh, all that stuff fuck. so like this badass was like going here and playing bach 
while she was like doing the patch cable thing and oh man so cool that's uh, really cool she also went on to do like uh, the music for uh, Clockwork Orange and The Shining and stuff like that too mm. but so like in this movie she was the one that did all of the keyboards for all of this and they also like along with like an orchestra and things like that so it was I, it's really cool I didn't realize that she was a part of this but Wendy Carlos is a fucking badass and uh, that makes me even happier that she was a part of this. That's so cool. So she's yeah. the original Daft Punk. She is the original yeah. Daft Punk, yes. So like, <laughs> I think oh, that's man. musical canon. Yeah, I think that's official <laughs> now. I want to talk a little bit more about the environment in the totalitarian society inside of the MCP or inside of the grid. The grid. The grid. Where I thought it was super interesting because... The way that they navigated the world, right? So, like, the MCP and his goons were, like, just so big and so massive and so arrogant. Like, arrogance was their downfall, essentially, where they were like, nothing can get by us. And then the resistance dudes, and I'm just going to call it, Tron and the boys. Tron yep. and the boys. Yeah. Um, they literally escaped through a crack in the code. Yeah. And then the tanks and all this other stuff is too big to follow them. And like a big way that they rule is by just seeming massive and seeming like overwhelming and seeming like there's no way out. But really like when it comes to like resistance and stuff like that, you just that's kind of what you do, right? You find cracks in the system and you kind of exploit them. So that's how they get around. And then even when like later on they find a couple of people that are hanging out, like, you know, or a couple people, a couple of programs that are just chilling, whatever, right? None of the programs look at them. They, they don't acknowledge them, right? Because in the society, if you so much as look at these people or like say like, hey, how's it going? You could be a sympathizer and you could be deleted for that, right? So everybody's just kind of like focusing on themselves or on their function because they don't want to be corrupted or they don't they don't want to be perceived as helping Tron and the boys, helping the resistance, helping to anger the, the MCP. Yeah, which goes directly back into your point about totalitarian governments or like sort mm-hmm. of like that idea and especially if we're talking directly about like the Holocaust and, and that kind of like Nazi sure, yeah. Germany where it's like if you're a sympathizer it's almost just as bad as being the victims in this case. So, so like that's that, I think that that just adds more credence to the idea that the shaping of this story and this narrative was a lot to do with stuff like that or with yeah. moments in hist- in sort of the history of people that and, and I think yeah. that it's also just super great that there's like one throwaway line where they talk about how the MCP started as a chess program so started small, started from this tiny thing and then just got more and more power and, you know, like one thing led to another. And even though it was this small thing, it became this big, giant, overwhelming thing. Yeah. And that's like, that's how ideology starts, right? And that's how these types of movements and things like that, it starts with just one person. And yeah. if nobody ever questions them or ever like, you know, tries to like engage with them, then this is just kind of what happens. It's fascist dictatorship, like the growth of it. And then it's also the sort of complicit, well, that's just the way it is of people who don't like question things, right? And so it's like yeah. that becoming a complicit bystander in situations like this. It's it's essentially being like, well, no, that's the law, so I can't do anything about it. It's like, no, that's why we talk about a lot of like questioning your own place in this world and questioning what is and is not correct, right? Because with a lot of these stories, so much intention is behind it. So when we see these like shitty archetypes or these shitty narratives, like just putting women down, 
putting white men in the patriarchal structure up above all else. It's mm-hmm. like these are intentional choices, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's the same. It's the same thing about being like we need to question our place in this world in the same way. So. Yeah, the movie, um, there's a quick scene where when the tanks are pursuing Tron and the boys, we see inside the tank and the guys driving the tank are in blue. Their stuff is blue, the light up stuff, which we find out later is means that they're not corrupted. The scene where Flynn sucks up the red for his costume because he becomes corrupted or whatever. So presumably blue is the good guys and red is the bad guys. But the guys in the red tank who are looking for Tron and the boys are blue, implying there's some kind of system here where like, oh, if you you know, come to our side and play for our team and hunt your own kind, you'll, you're will you good, you're taken care of. Well, yeah. but that's also very true of the people in the games and stuff like that too, right? Like they, as long as you play by the rules, you'll not be removed, you'll not be deleted. But the second that you go against that is when is when there's issues and when they start making it more difficult for you. Right, but the rules are set by M- the MCP, so the Correct. rules are not good. I, there's the, uh, Sark makes the announcement when Flynn goes to the games that if you forsake what you believe in, you can join the elite warriors. Exactly. But if you still believe in this bullshit user deity, weird religious analogy we're having in this movie, then you're going to be deleted or whatever. So you have to play by the rules, but the rules are our rules that we set, which suck. And within those rules, we'll probably kill you anyway. Most likely. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and then the people that are problems, like their, their chance to redeem themselves is maybe to go to the games, right? Or they, they think that they have the chance to redeem themselves, but really we know, we hear the MCP say, I want him to think that he is going to win and then I want him to be obliterated because again, the arrogance of the MCP is like, I want this person to have a glimmer of hope before he's utterly destroyed. Yeah. And that is like the most evil because like you could just often be done with it, you know, and mm-hmm. also just so, so arrogant. Like yeah. how many movies would like we not have if they just killed the person, just killed instead, the guy. Yeah. Instead of like went True. after vengeance or like tried to, tried to like just make somebody suffer. Mm-hmm. Like that is so fucking arrogant. Just if you're going to do it, just off somebody. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah and it, it is a, interesting way to set it up i also want to point out that like the game that they play was essentially just highlight but pong yeah it's literally highlight i said yeah. the same thing with the with oh, the, yeah, yeah. the, the highlight paddles yeah or, like the the what, how, what do you call the are they they're not paddles they're um like scythe like scythe scoops the, the tools highlight the tools, tools. We'll the highlight highlight tools. tools. yeah what, what you use to play the game highlight and i was just like oh that's interesting like what yeah. an interesting choice to make. Because I guess, like, that's a relatively unknown sport to the West. So I guess it would be like, ooh, what is this interesting thing that Oh, how exotic. This, oh, yeah. exactly, yeah. Well, and that's actually, I, I think that's a nod to Pong, for sure, right? Oh, yeah. Because that's actually what inspired this entire film. Was Pong? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Pong is what inspired the Tron universe. I love it. Little did you know. I didn't know. So... I have a thing that I was very consistent in my notes. This movie came out in 1982. A New Hope came out in 1977. And The Empire Strikes Back came out in 1980. This movie was Disney trying to do Star Wars before they ever had Star Wars. This movie is such a Star Wars clone in a lot of the plot points and a lot of the plot elements and a lot of the design of the characters and a lot of the battles. Like... Obviously, you already said Flynn is shitty discount Han Solo. Yeah. Like, he's the cool, scruffy nerf herder who even talks to himself when he flies like Han Solo does. Like, come on, baby, hold together. Right when he's flying the the thing that he finds. He gets in disguise in the enemy's costume to break into the enemy fortress. Han Solo dresses up like a stormtrooper. The guys who are trying to shoot them are in, like, those black kind of Vader-esque helmets that run the Death Star. The Sark Um, and the boys fly around in literally, like, an Imperial starship. Like... 
Yori's also a badass that saves Tron multiple times. Yeah, like... Also, even when... um, Who's the uh, main guy to the MC... Sark? Sark, yeah. When he's not doing what the computer's saying, he gets the Sith grip. Yeah, he gets the shock. Yeah. Uh, when we see actually see MCP, he's just a big giant face, mm-hmm. which like the Emperor was the hologram. And yeah. everybody, after when that movie first came out, people thought he was like a giant, just a face and not a person in a hologram. Yeah. By the way, the face of MCP was later used in South Park as the face of Moses. Whenever they have Moses in an episode, it's, oh, the, no. it's the big MCP face, which is really weird. Cute. Um, but yeah, it's... There are so many things that line up of me thinking like, oh, that's Star Wars, that's Star Wars, that's Star Wars. This was Disney trying to get on the Star Wars game before they ever realized they were going to. Yeah. Like this was their Disney presents Star Wars long before Disney actually presented Star Wars. Well, and that's kind of like the era where we had like a lot of clones too, a lot of clone films or like, oh, this did well. So let's, let's take some of this and let's, let's do our own version. Yeah. You know? Cap- capitalizing on the same sort of tropes and same yeah. sort of narratives. Yeah. Oh yeah, Star Wars is not original by any means in its tropes. Like no. what? They're tropes for a reason. <laughs> but like, you take that back. What do you mean? <laughs> Cancelled. Holy, holy trilogy. <laughs> I know, I know. But like the timing of it, especially when I was watching, it, I was like, I, w- I wondered. I can remember what year it came out. So I was like, I had to look it up. And then I, oh yeah, it's two years after Empire. Like, yeah. holy shit, they wanted a piece of that pie real bad. Yeah. And then thirty years later, they or got even it. if they didn't want a piece of the pie, I think it was um, the person that wrote this was just super fucking into it right it's like what if it was star wars but like in the computer instead of space yeah. the other unknown frontier yeah instead of going out to space they went into computers like other than that it's that's what it is it's, yeah. it's inner star wars instead of right. outer star wars it's essentially a bug's life because we went micro instead of macro basically oh, yeah it's star wars meets a bug's life yeah. equals tron tron is a bug's life that is canon <laughs> that is true it's- that is fact I mean, if we're talking about it, Tron did inspire Pixar. Pixar created Bugs Life. There it is. Transitive property dictates that, in fact... That is airtight. That is (laughs) science. So um, there's two other things that I want to talk about before we leave. Let's Um, do it. The first one is um, I want to talk about how the programs uh, take on the physical characteristics of their users Mm -hmm. and kind of what that looks like. Like what that means right because you know we've already kind of discussed alan being a cop and a turd and a turd we've talked about how uh laura laura and yori yeah lori okay how you know they're both kind of badasses but i think it's also interesting that well and dillinger and what's his face they're both shits right sark sark yeah but isn't it interesting that flynn's program is just offed right away. Clue, you mean? Because he can't survive there because he gets found out immediately. Yeah, uh, the first time we ever see Flynn in the movie is before his his whole arcade rock star entrance. He's trying to hack the system and whatever people thought hacking was in the eighties. His representation in the digital world is Clue, and Clue, like what, like less than five minutes, gets found and smashed and caught and just never stood a chance. So it's interesting that he, as the user, was able to to do it, but through, like, a lot of manipulation, right? He, like, starts off being like, oh, I'm just a program. Like, you don't know. Like, and later on, it's like, oh, well, I'm actually the user, guys. Mm-hmm. But a big part of this is, like, as a user, you have to, like, think of, like, what hacking is, right? You have to pretend you're this person or you need to find backdoors or find these ways to manipulate the data or manipulate, like make the computer think you're somebody you're not. 
or, you know, in order to get access to X, Y, and Z. And that's essentially what Flynn does when he gets inside of the MCP. That's, and like, like, what does it mean to have an avatar? Like, I mean, yeah. Okay. So, so that's kind of, so your avatar, like, is it a more true version of you? I think it's a less true version of you because I think in the same way that, like, we've developed within technology and creating these sort of online personas, like, your Instagram page is an avatar for yourself, but it's a curated mm-hmm. version of that avatar that you show to the world. Yeah. Uh, in chat rooms, the same way, like, you're not seen, you're only heard. So it's, like, how you want to present yourself and you get to wear different costumes. So you're essentially doing internet drag, like, in all these different places. <laughs> and you're doing different looks for all these different places because you want to not only impress or show yourself in this particular way to the group that you're talking to, but that fluctuation changes depending on what group chat you're in oh and also God. what platform you're on and, and all that stuff. So, yeah, I think I think it is a less true version. And I think why we're seeing the rigidity of the cop character is because it's just a very stark, like, this and that, and he's stoic. It's because that's who he nuanced. wants. It's not nuanced at yeah. all. You're not getting this sort of intersectional ways that we exist mentally and physically like all of the weird things and emotions it's just very cut and dried this is how I want to represent myself and that's it bye that is so fucking smart Damn. You just cracked that shit. Is that right? Is that, that's yes, what it sounds did. like. No, yeah. You now, that, now that you're saying <laughs> that, when you're when you saying that about like how Instagram is like a curated avatar of ourselves, in this digital world, I feel like the programs are representations of how the people kind of maybe wish they could be. Yeah. Like, Yori yes. is much more active than Laura. Mm-hmm. Tron is more, uh, more of a tough guy than Alan. Alan in the real world is kind of a sniveling shit of like, oh, well... This we're hanging out with your ex boyfriend, and I'm jealous about it. And I'm gonna be mad about it in the corner. Yeah. But then Tron's like, "I am a hero." It's like how they see themselves. Their representations. They're literally avatars. It's literally. representations of how they wish they could yeah. be. Yeah. Fucking shitty old Wizard of Oz man is literally the gatekeeper of the fortress. Sark is this great, maybe not great, but he's this warrior who lords over the land. And then Flynn is just still, still fucking discount Han Solo. Yeah. But yeah, it's representations of how they wish they could be. And mm-hmm. I think. That's not a new concept, I think, in the 80s, but it's weird that, I mean, thinking about video games, video games are sometimes a power fantasy, Mm -hmm. and when you get these games where you can create your own characters, either you create something fucking ridiculous to be funny, or you like to create something that, like, is kind of like, oh, yeah, I'm a cool wizard, because I wish I could do Fireball in real life kind of thing, and this movie kind of captured that kind of early on, especially in the video game stage and computer program stage. Yeah, and what's also interesting is seeing the way that these avatars essentially react to knowing that Flynn's a user as opposed to a program, right? Oh, he's God. Yeah, he's their God, and that's the whole subplot of, like, the deity situation, right? Right. But it is interesting to see that their... the avatar's version response to the user as opposed to the user response to the avatar or the creation of the avatar. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I thought that that was cool. I don't know. Yeah, I feel like there's... Yeah, like, Alan talking to to Flynn, Alan's like, oh, you're a shit, but then Tron Mm -hmm. talking to Flynn is like, yeah, holy shit. Yeah. 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 What did you want to end on? So I want to end on something. The the concept that the grass is always greener on the other side. Okay. Because there's a couple of times where they say, like, you know, I, I think even in the end, Flynn is like, on the other side of the screen, it all looks so easy. And oh, once yeah. he's there, oh, this is actually really tough. We always wish, and going back to the Avatar thing, like, we always want something that we don't have or to yeah. be somebody that we're not. And I think that... That's something that carries through into the next film, for sure. And mm-hmm. I think that it's really interesting that the movie kind of ended on that because just because something is different doesn't mean that it is less difficult or less complicated or it's not as hard as it seems. Yeah. 
And it's also like you're talking about it in a matter of perspective. Like, yeah, talking about how what you it, it's that's sort of the conversation of like you want what you can't have, but mm-hmm. then once you get it, you want something else. Like the grass is always greener thing. And like even then, when that conversation gets posed as not necessarily a question, but more of just like a it must be so easy for you users, right? And then he's like, well, honestly, it kind of is exactly like this, like. You go into it with a certain expectation, but then when you get somewhere else, it's not what you expected, but you work through it and you figure it out. Yeah. So he's just saying, like, what you're doing, yeah, that's what we do. We're all just, like, the same, essentially. Struggles suck. We're all going to struggle. End of story, you know? Yeah. The idea that even in the digital space, he's still human kind of thing. Yes, exactly. And And this is, like, representative of the human struggle. Yeah. Because Tron tells him what you're referring to is Tron's like, oh, well, don't you always operate according to a plan? That's right. Yeah, yeah. And like, what the fuck are you talking about? No. (laughs) Yeah, never. But, and then I think that that's cool, because then, or, like, at least not necessarily cool, but just interesting that he's essentially posing that they're more human than they give themselves credit for, even though they're not human at all. But just the idea of wanting something more, the idea of hope itself could even be argued that that's incredibly human. The fact that they're hoping anything is a very human thing to do, Mm -hmm. as opposed to just being, like, expectations and this, and it's like, y'all have it so easy, but it's like, no, we're all doing the same shit. We're all... We're all in this together, We're all a mess. (laughs) We're hashtag High School Musical. We're all in this together. Oh, my gosh. We're now going to start talking about Tron Legacy from the year 2010. So Old Man Flynn capitalizes on his experiences in the grid, has a kid, and, in 1989, vanishes without a trace, leaving behind a son, a motorcycle, and a Fortune 500 company. His son Sam grows up a sad rich boy and is one day informed that his daddy might still be alive in the digital world. Sam goes to his father's old arcade, finds his secret office, and gets sucked into the grid. He is imprisoned and eventually gets saved by Cora, a mysterious digital woman who leads him back to his daddy, hijinks and Sue, and, and a, a line. line. So yeah, we are on Tron. Legacy. The legacy of Tron. Who is even? Fuck this. Oh, he's not even in this movie. He's like in this movie for like two seconds. Yeah. He's in the movie, but they never show him because they didn't want to do that weird digital thing to the actor's face that did to Jeff Bridges, I guess. I don't know. That was really jarring and really weird. Yeah. And it's called Tron Legacy. And then when we see Tron, he no longer fights for the user. He fights for the cluiser. Ha ha ha. Big joke. What a big one. Are you still laughing? <laughs> you guys aren't even going to give me that one? Okay. No, I oh can't. You God. take it. I know. I'm, oh I'm, I'm, I mock. Wow. But I do give, give also. Should we get all our jokes out right away? I actually, I didn't even like it. That was just like off the cuff. I didn't even. <laughs> no, that was like, that was actually. <laughs> if you I wanted, didn't even plan that, guys. Like, if you want to get all our jokes out, jokes. <laughs> I've got jokes. We wanted to get them all out at the beginning. <laughs> do it. What's your joke? So uh, when Flynn talks about that there was a coup, mm-hmm. there was a clue coup. Aw. That's my joke. I wish there was a clock in the room, so it would be a cuckoo clock. Jesus. <laughs> so, this movie was something. I want to go on record first and foremost, and I want to tell you all how much I hate our lead character. I don't like him at all. As, wait, Talking the about actor Sam. or Sam. the character himself? I don't know the actor, the character okay. himself. The character... Because I hated him, too. ...was so shitty. Like, we're supposed to start to empathize with him because he's, like, a bad boy and he lost his dad. And we're like, oh, he lost his dad, so he's like, whatever. He is such a little brat. Like, he's such an entitled piece of shit. And, like, when he gets arrested and goes to jail and is like, no biggie. It's like, oh, wow, white privilege sure is working well with you, isn't it? Like, 
no sweat off my back. He's also rich and like not a care in the and world. And has his like shitty apartment, but <sighs> it's like built specifically for him, like under the dock yeah. somewhere. Like oh it's like his little bat cave. He wants so hard to be Batman because Batman also lost his parents when he was a kid, yeah. right? And that's I think that's who he idolized. He idolized Daddy Flynn and Daddy Batman. Yes. Which is perfect because given previous circumstance and conversation with straight white male culture, all straight white men generally want to be Batman. And I think that he is the physical embodiment and manifestation narratively of that type of archetypal character and the tropes all wrapped up in it because that house is what you would call in straight world a man cave, (laughs) right? That was just like, look at my motorcycle and... I'm a bachelor, but my dog's cool, so I'm sensitive, and you're just, like, my dad's friend, so And I rob from the rich and give to the poor, and also, like, he's the fucking majority owner of this Fortune 500 company, and he doesn't want to get involved because it's too much responsibility, but he will totally fuck over his own company, like, so he just doesn't want to put his own face out there. Because he's a sad little boy who has daddy issues, just like Batman. And he probably sits in his little bat cave and watches Batman all the time and practices parkour. Yes. Um, So, (laughs) (laughs) related to my uh, previous movie argument, Tron Legacy, what happened? No, that was the best way to go into it. Well, no, it's... um, So. So... (laughs) Well, because I was listening so intently to your wonderful points. Tron Legacy came out in 2010. Batman Begins came out in 2005. The Dark Knight came out in 2008. So (gasps) the same way that original Tron was Disney's Star Wars, I think this was Disney's Batman. I I picked up on a few of those, like the same things you guys are talking about, of like, he's supposed to be our Bruce Wayne, our sympathetic, like, brooding hero. And then Cora's Robin, I guess, who like saves his ass but doesn't get any of the credit kind of thing. Yeah. Like, I... That vibe of it's more gritty this time around, and like things are darker, and there's a steady underbelly, and like, mm. oh, this is Batman. Cool. Yeah. Cool. You're making Batman now. Well, yeah. And that was like during the whole time when they were doing all these reboots, and they were, they were doing them for the nostalgia factor. It was like, oh man, it's Tron. But what if it was dark? Yeah. Like, and they had karate fights. And, and they tried, like, in an effort to try to make more nuanced characters, they just make them more complicated, but they don't actually flesh out the character themselves. So, like, Sam has no conflict. His whole thing is that he has daddy issues. Like you were saying, he has hella money, right? He goes to prison, and he, or, like, to jail, and he's like, yeah, whatever, I'm out. And he has the money to go to therapy, and he just won't fucking go to therapy to talk about this shit with anybody, right? Well, anybody that, be a that tries to help him... Yeah. Anybody that tries to help him, he's like, no. Uh, Like, he pushes them away. Even, like, Alan, who he's talking about, like, sitting there doing his homework with him and stuff like that, right? Like, he just fucking pushes him away because he wants to be a sad, sorry little boy. Yeah. And, like, you know, I'm the owner of this company. I'm like, that really bothers me because he could really make people's lives better. And instead of, like, doing that, you know, he, he doesn't have to do it publicly, but he does it in his own terms. And it's so, so shitty and so boring. And he's just so boring he's, he's, he had no struggle he said what is it like the mary sue equivalent 
Oh, yeah. Uh, Gary Stu. Everything that he tries, he doesn't fail at. He is a great coder. He's, like, as good, if not better, than his dad. He knows fucking parkour and all these sweet stunt moves. He's a badass on a motorcycle who fixes them up, too. Like, he literally has no struggle. Everything is so easy to him. Even in the digital world, when he's just there, he's like, okay, cool, I got this. Yeah, what a... And the thing about that that I noticed with this new viewing was there's no reason for it. There's no explanation. No. Where Flynn is good at the grid games because he's a video game designer and and he he plays video games. He made this world. Sam Flynn is good at everything. He can do parkour. He can hack. He can ride motorcycles, like you guys were saying. He's really good at the... He can base jump. Yeah. He he knows how to skydive. He can play Death Frisbee, whatever the fuck that game is. He's so good at everything... And there's literally no explanation for it because no. all we know about him is that he's a guy without a job who lives in a, a man cave. Mm-hmm. So he with should, unlimited money, right? Like, there's no reason why he should be good at all this stuff, and he just excels at everything without any explanation. It's just it's setting that. That's like literally setting the stage for this narrative, which was our like. I was having such a hard time at the beginning of it. And then he even makes some sort of comment when he gets out of jail. He's like, "Will you just let me sleep? I smell like jail." Like as such a throwaway, oh. like. Like, oh, God, it was such an inconveniencing for me to go to jail, and I'm like, like an like hour, five minutes, yeah. Like, and he then got he just goes and is like impounded, pays for his car, his motorcycle, and he's back at home, and he's like, all in a day's work, and you're like, God, there was so much dismissal of like everything that's happened thus far, and he's just like, he's just a spoiled brat of a hero, and it's so. I, I thought they were gonna do something later where like he gets better and he doesn't, and I'm like, ugh. We but, supposed to like this asshole? Well, and like his whole like conflict resolution, right? Because the only time he has a hard time is like with talking to his daddy or impressing his daddy. Like he still wants to be, he still wants his daddy's approval, right? Like you're a fucking man. You it's need like, to deal with your emotions. You need to cry. Yeah, you need to cry. He's Kyle. He's a he's fucking <laughs> Kyle, and he needs to figure it out because like it's literally one of those things. Like as kids, well, what would your dad say? Why are you talking about my dad? My dad's not here. It's like oh. I just touched something. There is something going on here and you don't want to talk about it. And I'm sorry that you can't talk about it, but it is not cute. And it's also not subtle. So it's, yeah, it's, it's just like, he's the worst. He's he's, the fucking worst. He's so boring. He's so boring. And even when he meets his dad, like, and he's like, speaking of entitled, like, you know, they're like having their one bonding moment where like they're on the solar train thing to go to the the center of everything, right? And he's like, so what's it like out there, right? Like Daddy Flynn is like, what's going on, right? And he's like, oh, you know, we have Wi-Fi. What's that? Wireless interlinking. (laughs) And like... That's what we all call it. Yeah. yeah. Wireless internet. digital devices? <laughs> I thought of that. Sure, Dad, whatever. But then, like, he goes on to list more things, and he's listing the problems, right? He's like, he talks about the ice caps melting and the war in Iraq, or, yeah. like, in the Middle East. And then he says, online dating. And I'm like, why it's is this so even, goofy. like, why? <laughs> and that's all the problems we have. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Well, and it's just so nonchalant, too. Like, war in the Middle East, online dating... What a fucking privileged white boy. Something else he says in that same conversation. He goes, rich getting richer, poor getting poorer. Uh, hey, 1%. Hello? That's you. That's you you are doing that. Yeah. You are causing that problem. Yeah. Like, it's cool that you're Robin Hood, 
but also you are still the biggest shareholder of this company. Yeah. Even if you're not one percent, you're for sure a millionaire. Yeah. He's like, yeah, income inequality. It sure sucks. Anyway, I'm rich, so I don't really care though. Yeah. Jk. Lol. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go do some crimes because I can get away with it, and it's not a problem. Who cares? And it's not my skin color. Don't worry about that. Like, shut. Go. No. Stop. Yeah. He's, shut up. That's, go to bed. That's <laughs> like, such a. He's so unaware of his own status in that scene. Yeah. Of like, yeah, man, it sucks out there. It even though it's me written. doing it. Yeah. It was and not the a only well thing that sucks scene. for him is his daddy disappeared. Also, like, if the police. Or, like, just anybody that knew him had actually done a sweep of that arcade. They would have been able to find where he was at. Like, that. Like there's no way that Sam went in there and was like, oh, here's some markings on the thing. Especially because at this point in time, right? Like, we have to think about, it's not just, like, a person that's gone missing, right? It is a white man who is very rich and very well off. And, and very, like, very famous. And super famous. So, literally, he, like, the quarter drops, and he was like, oh, here, there's a thing behind this. There was no locking mechanism for it. There was no, like, there was no barriers other than a false wall to get to his fucking lab. But to be fully fair, though, he is, again, good at literally everything. So, he is definitely the best cop in the city. Best detective, <laughs> rather. Like Batman. Like Batman. Like Batman. Yeah. Again, he is also the very same. The, the very same. That is who he is. Also, when he goes to the arcade, mm-hmm. I hated it so much because it gave me so much anxiety that he's in this deserted part of town. He's just going to turn on all the lights, all the music. It's super loud. He left the door open and then just is like wandering, like not a care in the world. Like, shut the fucking door. Like, just shut the door. What are you doing? Like, and I'm just the, so... At the end, then... Everything is kind of off, or it stopped, or like, and nobody, nobody even wandered in. His motorcycle's still out there. Yeah, like. yeah the whole, the whole sequence of the arcade, because they get the page from the number, and Alan says, "Well, that number's been disconnected for twenty years, or whatever." So the phone doesn't work anymore. We've disconnected the phone, but we still pay the power bill apparently because yeah. everything comes on right the fuck away. Immediately, Jukebox and everything. It hasn't been cleared out. It hasn't been, you know, no one broke in and, and took these extremely valuable old arcade machines. Mm-hmm. But also, my question was, why did it? close because he disappeared like because he's this larger than life rock star motherfucker like oh our our great hero flynn the video game player is gone can't go to the arcade anymore and worship him i guess so i guess arcades are done and also this whole part of town is done yeah like, every other storefront's also gonna close because, because he disappeared yeah because we lost the flynn lebowski um, <laughs> i got it in no and so oh my god speaking of that that is his whole that is jeff bridges his whole character in this yeah it, it he's just like even that's at a certain jeff point bridges. he's like he's like you're ruining my like peace vibe or something he says <laughs> yep. which was just so just like oh man i like i love it i love it so much and i do like the embracing of that like kind of those mannerisms those sort of character pieces mm-hmm. but it was just, just like man he's just doing the dude yeah <laughs> yes can i offer a slightly alternative take on sam flynn Yes. Sure. Yes. So, he sucks. I'm not going to debate that fact. But the fact is that he was created, kind of stepping outside of the movie a little bit, I guess, which I know we're not really supposed to do, but he was created by writers, right? He was designed to be this way, purposely, in this movie. He is a millennial who doesn't work, who doesn't want to work, he's lazy, he's withdrawn, all these things, right? I kind of read this as sort of like anti-millennial storytelling, 
in that those shitty entitled motherfuckers over there, those millennials, they're ruining ruining the arcade industry, apparently. They're ruining all these industries, and bland, don't they suck? This point of view that a lot of people who are older than millennials seem to have of this very just negative, you're fucking everything up and you're making it weird, even though they fucked it up long before us, and boy, I can't wait till the boomers are gone. But um, <laughs> because... Then what happens? He goes into the grid, right? And what does he learn in the grid? He learns about traditional values, about family, about religion. He reconnects with these old conservative values. And then he comes Uh, out and he's like, well, now I'm ready to work. And now I'm ready to have responsibility because I met my daddy and I learned about myself and like all these things where now he's valuable to society because before as a shitty millennial, he had no value. He sucked, right? And they make him suck on purpose, the writers of the movie. And yes, he does suck. I know that. I agree with you. But- that's such a commentary, I think, on the way that people view us of like, you just need to reconnect with old timey values and we need to teach you what's right. That way you can shape up and ship up and be right and fly the way we want you to fly kind of thing. Wow. Like, that's how I read that interpretation of Sam. Damn. That's- what a good take. At first I wasn't really on board. And oh, I know. Then, he sucks. I yeah, know. Like, I, I, was, I think you saw like the look I was giving you like, mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. But then when, ah, oh man, no, that's, that's good. Like, that's actually a really good point. Like, because, and again, I, like, it goes, God, I don't even know what to say over here. That was so eloquent. Like, Thank Daddy you. Daddy Flynn is, like, even, like, trying to teach Cora and stuff like that. Patience. And all this. And like, all these shit, old books. Like, shit the that, classics. Yeah. And can't we talk about shit that he didn't embody when he was At all. There? No, At but all. now At that all. he's old and conservative, now it's a value that he's always but, held but dear. But how did he get old and conservative? Like, because he wasn't that person when he got in there, right? No, he just got money. He was in the grid. Oh, gotcha. Oh, so you think if the values of the grid were these things, those values became instilled in him because he existed in that place? That's the only place that he would have learned all this. Yeah. I had that thought, too, of, like, in the first movie, he's just tech bro, right? He's poster boy tech bro. I'm really good at video games, and I hit on my ex-girlfriend, and I'm a super creep. But now, within a couple years, he's like, I'm going to change science. I'm going to change medicine. I'm going to change religion. I want to save humanity. Like, how the fuck did we get there? Well, I the way that I read that was pretty immediately after he becomes, you know, Rich Flynn, he gets a wife. And impregnates her pretty much immediately. And then she dies. So what is usually a motivator for men to try to make the world a better place and to grow? It's usually a woman dying. Right? Or the trope of you need to lose a woman to become a better man kind of thing. Isn't that the woman in the fridge? Oh, yeah. To kill him off as a way to have another character grow. Correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And she doesn't even get a fucking name. She doesn't get a name. She gets one line of throwaway dialogue, not even from Flynn or, or Sam, from the fucking news broadcasts that exist to give us all the exposition at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. And they never talk about her again. Nope. It's like, he's not mad that mommy died or anything. Nope. He's mad that daddy left. Mm-hmm. He doesn't give a shit about mom. Yeah. He doesn't mention her once. And I sort of wondered if it was Laura, because she's not around Same. I Googled that either. shit, and it wasn't. She's not around in this Thank movie goodness. at fucking all. Yeah. And not even uh, Yori, her avatar, because... He later tells Sam that me and Clue and Tron built this world together. Oh, what about the lady who built the fucking laser that lets you into this world at all? Oh, she's just gone? Cool. Cool, 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 cool. Yeah, Yeah. nice job. Way to go, guys. Uh, Yeah, so that sucked. 
<laughs> that did suck. I'm still driven on that take. That was really, like, that's making me rethink the whole thing. I mean, if I were to still be analyzing this from the perspective without, or the way, my first impression of it when I was watching it, I wanted to bring up this idea of, like, the American Abroad Syndrome that okay. he has going into the grid. Again, it's just playing off of all of his already established characteristics of being rich, of being entitled, of being like, I'm good at everything and I can do anything no matter what. But going into this place that he is completely unfamiliar with and then trying to explain to other characters how their world exists and how they mm. exist and how they should be in their world. Yeah. It's like Americans going on trip anywhere that is in America. It's essentially saying, no, 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 speak my language and I'm also going to tell you how to do this. And it's like, ooh. Oh my god it's too much he's it's, the living embodiment of the phrase well actually well actually yeah exactly <laughs> and even and, and it's towards these characters who also who are on like the precipice of death like they're about to die in these games and somebody's like why are you crying and you're like oh my god <laughs> go away go away what's this guy's deal as he's getting stabbed like okay yeah. well and that's so interesting uh, like with the religious context that they kind of set up for like Flynn being God right and then Sam being the son of God right yeah. oh yeah and also like Flynn Lebowski <laughs> he's got like these long robes and this Jesus hair and like the whole thing and he's like holier than now and mm-hmm. patience and all of that and he's got his white Russians he's doing great <laughs> he really is you know <laughs> like Yeah, that's even more troubling, taking that kind of stuff into context, too. Yeah. Like, ugh, gross. So, we've already talked about Flynn Jr. Let's talk about Flynn Sr. Zen Flynn. Zen Flynn. Cool. Yeah, yeah. We have so many names for him. (laughs) Oh, Zen Flynn, yeah. yeah, I got jokes. And you know how to use them. He becomes such a baby. Because his whole thing is he knows that he fucked up, but he won't admit it. And he's too scared to try to fix it. So literally there's a line in there where he says, the only way to win the game is not to play. So he just removes himself from all of these equations and just tries to pretend like it's not happening and it doesn't exist. And if he just is a good person on his own and doesn't deal with the horrible shit that he caused, then it's fine. And then nobody will remember. He'll be okay. Everything will be fine. Everything will go away. And isn't that just boomers on any social <laughs> I issues was just ever? About to say. Isn't that the case, though? As long as I'm a good person, it doesn't matter. Because black people might be dating child. How does that have to do with me? That's nope. the, They probably did something wrong. Like, Go to bed. Go to to sleep. That idea of he (laughs) fucked this world up and then removes himself from it. Exactly. Exactly. Like, we fucked everything up, but then, oh, well, we're okay. So it must be somebody else causing these problems. Millennials or dangerous minorities, quote, quote. Yeah. Or, you know, women who want to vote. Like, fuck. (laughs) Even, oh my gosh. Okay. That is such a good point, though. (laughs) And I'm so happy because that just gives full, big rolling snowballs of credence to the idea that that's how this was written essentially he is a millennial and he is a boomer and it's like go back to the classic ways be conservative like Mm -hmm. that whole idea yeah that is so cool and rife with social shit and i love it oh my god so speaking of boomers and how they feel about things can we talk about the role of women in this film yes let's talk about there's the first woman in the film is just a throwaway, my mommy died thing, right? Mm-hmm. Or, like, it wasn't Flynn talking about it, it was the news. So, Cora is 
Well, I guess she's not the first one we meet, but we'll talk about her and then we'll go back to Jim because I think I, I want to discuss Jim too. Mm-hmm. But Cora kind of like immediately has the hots for Flynn. As soon as she sees him, she's just like, hey, daddy. Like, hey, hey, daddy's son. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What's up? And she like, she saves him. She's a badass, all of that. But Flynn is, Flynn Sr., Flynn Lebowski, is kind of like teaching her the old ways, as you say. And it's so interesting because, like you were saying, like, before where, like, white people come in and they, like, oh, speak the way that we speak, learn our values, learn all of this. When Flynn talks about what she is, the ISIS, right, he's like, these are people that have unlimited knowledge, you know, kind of referring to them as, like, I read it as almost like they're gods. They know so much. They're going to change the shape of reality. They're going to do all of this. Like, and they just appeared. Like, they just came out of nowhere and they were like, our answer. And then they're all killed and she's the only one left. So rather than helping her learn about her people and what happened or trying to like say like, okay, this is what we need to do to like take vengeance or because he revered them so much. And, and it's like, there's this whole monologue about it. He's teaching her. He's making her read, like, The Old Man in the Sea, you know? And, like, he's trying to play, like, this chess game with her and trying to do all this stuff. And he literally says to her, women are aggressive and men are patient, pretty much. Because he says that uh, <laughs> there, she, Cora's talking to Sam and she's like, your dad says that I'm too aggressive, you know, I need to be more patient like him. But the whole time she's trying, like, he's trying to tell her how to be, and she just wants to be a real person. But she's never, I feel like she's a really weak character because she's never allowed to have feelings or to think any other way than what this fucking boomer thinks, right? Like, uh, now thinking about it like that, like, I was just, my whole thing was going to be like, man, she sucks and she's nothing and she's just good at karate or whatever. Like, Well, she, well she is good at karate. She yeah. is. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's also wild because, like, there's literal genocide and then followed by, instead of learning about her culture, colonialization of him embracing and instilling mm-hmm. his own values on her. So literal genocide, literal colonialization. But then also within her character, they both make her the sort of, like, the infantilized daughter, but then simultaneously the sexy object of affection, which is just that really fucking gross thing that guys love to do. They love to take the idea of a woman who knows nothing and be like, let me show you everything. Let me teach you everything. And also fall in love with me. And it's like not, it's, it's like taking the idea of objectification and like just propifying this human person into something that is both ownership, but also just like, literal romantic and sexual slavery but also i want to be your daddy and i want you to like be my daughter like it's that weird that i just i don't even really know how to describe it apart from that it's gross it's gross yeah it's just infantilizing and it's also sexually objectifying and it's just like what and And they do it in such a really like literal way but to save zin flynn daddy flynn yeah from being that kind of creeper we have sam to be the sexualized half of that so we have the I'm going to teach you things and you're going to be my daughter and you'll do what I say. And then we have the whole other character to come along and be like, oh, well, I'll be the one to, you know, let's, let's make out or whatever. Yeah. And then he's like, like what's up, stepsister? I, yeah, 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 yeah. But, okay, Uncomfortable. So, so the other thing, too, is while he's trying to, like, teach her his ways, like the colonialization of this, she 
admits she's withholding information from him, that he doesn't know everything. Yeah. Because she knows way more than he does, like, about what's happening in the world. She knows that Flint's son is there. He has no idea. He's just dreaming about Tron. He's just off in this, maybe everything will be okay. Yeah. You know? And she's like, your son's here. I got him. I did this. You know, anytime that she has the knowledge of what's happening now, and Flynn is just stuck in yesterday. She's the reimagining of Yori in that way. Of She knows her way around the world. She can kick ass. She'll get you where you need to go. But then when it's time for the men to talk, it's pure background. Yeah. Like, they don't even say who she is until like an hour and a half into the movie. She shows up to save Sam in her uh, digital Batmobile, because this is Batman. It's the Tumblr from Dark Knight. Yeah. And then they go back to the apartment or whatever, the digital apartment. She just sits on the couch and says fucking nothing the entire time while Sam and Daddy talk. And then Daddy storms away to go meditate, and all Sam does is talk to Cora about Dad. She's a soundboard for them to talk to each other, like, through, kind of. Because mm. men don't know how to talk about their feelings. And then, <laughs> <laughs> like, there's never a moment in the movie where all three of them are, like, having a conversation together. When she gets her arm derezzed or whatever and passes out, that's where they bond. And then as soon as she wakes up, a Daddy goes, oh, I'm going to go meditate. So he's off the screen. So now Son and Cora can talk. And then she gets herself kidnapped for literally no reason at all. At fucking all. And Daddy Flynn goes, oh, well, she's removing herself from the equation. Why? Wow. Like, she doesn't have a plan on the inside. She's just there and she's captured for Sam to save later. Literally no reason for her to get captured other than we need her off the screen so Dad and Son can talk. There's not a single moment in the movie where all three of them are active at the same time and engaging each other about the plan or about what to do or about how shit sucks. Yeah. It's either... A combination of two or three of them, or the other ones in the background, or just not there. It's fucking wild. Like that blew me away so much about this movie. Rewatching it, it was all fucked. And like even seeing the way that Sam interacts with her, like the moments where she obviously knows the place, she knows everything. Again, she is the strongest person in this film. She's like, well, maybe we should do this. He's like, no, I got this. I have to save the day. And you're like, have you been here for like an hour? <laughs> Haven't you? Like you just showed up like an hour ago. But well, now you know how to save the world. Because you this world you don't know. Karate Death Frisbee. Think about like. Think and also, about what I you hated would do. how he knew how to play that game. Oh, I yeah. hated that Again, so much. Hated everything. Ugh. How would you feel if you were suddenly transported into this thing? Would like I would need somebody to hold my hand and show me around, show yeah. me everything. It wouldn't be like, save me, oh, save I know me. where I'm yeah. going. I don't know how to act. I don't know like. And there's also like this racism between the users and the programs, right? Oh yeah. So like, if he's found out as a user, like he's going to be hurting. And this is the first time that he's ever had to face anything like that, right? Because he's always been a privileged, rich, sad boy. Yeah. This is the first time that he is being hunted. Yeah. But even when faced with that, he could barely he, give less, he of doesn't a sh- care. less of a shit. Like, yeah. he does it's, not It's care. not real for him. No. I think Cora being kidnapped also played into, not only did they need to talk, but they needed to be 100% on the same page for one thing. Because they were not for anything else. It was like, okay, I guess we'll get out. Like, it took the son fucking up royally, right? Because he was going through his thing. And then boomer daddy to come in and save everything and clean up the mess and teach his son the lesson that he needed to learn in mm-hmm. order in order to live yeah and they teamed up for that the two generations can close the gap and we can work together if it's to save women or tell women what to do yeah. or control <laughs> women i guess <laughs> but then, like, that so- isn't the realest shit though 
Like, the only time that shitty dudes get together and not talk about how the other one fucked up the thing is when they're talking about how much better they are than women and why women shouldn't have rights. Like, the only time they can agree is when it's through a misogynistic lens. That's it. And then, like, the whole thing with, like, they built the ISOs up to be, like, this whole big thing, right? And, like, they were, like, they didn't even pay off. And then, like, Flynn is like, well, I had to save her. She's the last of her kind. She's whatever. But they're so willing to, like throw her out and let her she literally is shielding boyfriend from all of this harm whenever like they get into any sort of confrontation or anything she puts herself between the attacker and flynn and she's acting as a shield literally shielding him from having to confront hate from Mm -hmm. having to confront like anything and she gets no credit for it after the scene in the bar where she loses her arm or whatever and she's passed out because we can't have too many women on the screen at once. Sam tells Dad, he goes, she risked her life for me. And then Dad all lovingly looks at his son and goes, some things are worth the risk. When the whole fucking she time... She is the savior of the world. Her digital blood can cure cancer or whatever the fuck that storyline is. I don't know. She's being played up as the savior of humanity. If we can get her out, she will fix all of the world's problems. Oh, but she can die to save my son. Yeah. Fuck it. Like... Ah, for real. Ah, this just makes me so fucking infuriated. So you know who the only character I like actually really liked in this movie? Who? Speaking of the bar scene, Caster. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he's so good. What's the actor's name? Michael Sheen. Michael Sheen. That's right. I loved this weird little Bowie moment that was just (laughs) like fun circus, like Bowie, but also like. I love fighting and I am kind of a weasel and also they weren't here and here's a drink. <laughs> and it's just like it was just like this weird amalgam of all of these things and like that character to me was so fun. And it was like sure problematic in certain aspects, but for that world was the most unproblematic part of this whole movie. Even for the shittiness that we obviously know because mm-hmm. he's right. just like I mean, he's kind of a con man. He's going to take it whoever's money. doesn't matter. Right. right. All that stuff. He was the most wholesome part, or at least not most wholesome, most unproblematic part of this. And that's why I loved him so much. I loved him so much. And, like, I didn't realize he was also based off of Mark Bolin, too, from T-Rex. So it's like Mark Bolin and David Bowie had a baby, and we get him, and I just love every minute of him being on the screen. And, okay, so let's tie him into this whole discussion on women, right? So the whole reason that Sam gets to this guy is because the woman gives him the knowledge, right? And then we have that weird shot of the apple. So she's supposed to be like Eve, this whole terrible, terrible thing, right? Hated that. Hated it. So, um, a literal apple, a chrome apple. So he gets so boring. Flynn, <laughs> like, wow, how are we going to make this allegory happen? And then he can Stop. see himself in the what apple. What if the apple too, was right? chrome? And somebody was like, it's a computer. Oh, yes! <laughs> you can see all the other rumors are just like, yeah, <laughs> so smart. You're so, so smart. So many dudes high five in that such writer's a good room. Job. Oh, Sorry, I interrupted you again. What were you saying? Oh, no, that was, that was so <laughs> Oh, my God. <laughs> So, Boy Wonder goes to see David Bowie, and he's like, oh, are you Zeus? Yeah, well, who's talking? Well, my friend Cora. And so, remember when Sam gets into the digital world and is dressed by the women? Yeah. 
Like yeah, the four women that come out and undress yeah, they're, and redress they're, them. they're called sirens. That's their character name. Okay, and so they go in there, and it's. I thought it was really interesting because they also give him his data disc and stuff. So men gain their identity and gain their place in the world through women, mm-hmm. right? They also point out that he's special. Oh, this one's different. Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> yeah. Ugh, gross. Uh, no, which I thought the way that like they all walked in together and like when they like went back and became a part of the wall, that was fucking dope. I was so here for that, yeah. right? So he gets to the club because um, Jem, who's one of the sirens, finds him and when she's off or whatever, because apparently they they have, have jobs. They I have guess working hours. Yeah. yeah. Okay, Weird, that's a whole right? other thing. But go on. Weird, right? So she's like, "Hey, baby," and she's like, her whole character is just dripping sexuality yeah right yeah that is her defining trait and that's the only thing she's allowed to be yeah so she takes him to the club being all sexy on him and stuff and then gets to zeus and she's like sitting in the corner and he's like boy wonder says cora's name how i read this was david bowie dude's reaction was like oh like you know kind of like the reaction you would have if somebody said like your ex-girlfriend's name in front of your new girlfriend because, like, he's like, Cora, and he's like, oh, well, yeah. And then Jem in the corner was like, Ugh. like, she was just so pissed at, yeah. like, hearing this woman's name. Because that's the only yeah. time, uh, the reason I also wanted to bring that part up is because two women, other than the sirens, are never on screen together. And the only time that they even talk about other women is that scene when she is mentioned and she's just like, ugh. It's disgust and yeah. contentment, yeah. yeah. So, like, it's pitting women against each other. Oh, for sure. And there's no camaraderie at all. Totally. And the fact, even when Jim is off the clock, she's not hanging out with her her work friends, which, again, I guess they have jobs. Yeah, what does that mean in the context of this? Like, because they're computer programs. So, are they like, is the computer off? I don't know. I have a lot of confusing questions you know about what? the That's, it's, infrastructure of this world that I'm going to talk about. Maybe it's like bit, a Wreck It Ralph situation, right? Maybe they just, you know, when the computer's off, they go do their uh, thing. Sure. It seemed like they were trying to do some sort of world buildy Blade Runner shit on top of this idea that they are all programs and have things to do as opposed to that, but they wanted to make them feel more autonomous and more like Star Wars y. No, you're totally right. Like, First of all, if the first one was, we wish we had Star Wars, this one is practice Star Wars, because there's a lot of things in this movie that come up that came up in the new Disney Star Wars movies, like the whole thing when Clue built his army at the end, it's almost literally the exact same shot as the whole speech in front of the First Order in Force Awakens. Like, whatever. It's practice Star Wars now. Now that Disney had it. Oh, so it was a practice for Star Wars is what you're saying. Yeah, yes. now that... Oh, So the, gotcha. the first Tom movie was, we wish we had Star Wars. Here's the best we can do. Now, now we this one's Wars. like, yeah. we're going to get Star Wars. Let's practice. But, so you mentioned that whole kind of Blade Runner vibe that mm-hmm. this movie has of there's slums and there's all this stuff. Like, that was really confusing to me, not just because it doesn't make sense in terms of that they're fucking computer programs, but we have Clue, who is our villain, who is 1985... Jeff Bridges. He says in 85, he created him and he has been 1985 Jeff Bridges the whole time. Mm -hmm. He was created to make this a perfect world. That's his job. That's his role as a program is all he knows how to do, which I guess at one point he decides that the ISOs are not perfect. So he wipes them out and they're worried if he gets out, they're like, well, our world is full of imperfections. He's going to wipe everybody out. There are so many motherfucking imperfections in this digital world. Like there is poverty. There is 
wealth inequality. Like when uh, there's a class system. There's a class system. Sam gives away his bike to the the hobo, essentially. Yeah. The the transient, so he won't get caught. Which right. fucking terrible anyway. But like, this is such already a mirror of the quote imperfections of our world. Like the guards in Caster's Club are distracted by escorts. Quote quote. Mm-hmm. And because Sam's all nervous and he's like, "Don't worry, they're distracted." Wink. So what? They talk so much about perfection in this movie, and it's they don't define it ever because I don't know if the idea is that Clue is bad at his job, like he became evil, so he wants this imperfections, even though that goes against his coding. It's not clear then why he even wants to get out, but like, and then they have the fucking cliche moment at the end of like perfection was right in front of you the whole time because it's your it's your family, your family is perfect again those fucking conservative traditional values of your family is important. That's what perfection is, not so boring, not advancement, not so saving the world, not making the world a better place. It's just being close to the ones you love. Ignore the problems outside as long as you hug inside. Well, like you said, literally he's more worried about his son than the wealth, well-being of the entirety of the world. Yeah. In that one moment where right. it's like, well, I saved my son. And that's yeah. all that matters. Yeah, that's all that matters. Family's all that Family matters. Family first. <laughs> well, and so I think this – um, so with the last movie, like one of the big things was the grass is always greener, right? right? And so I think it was supposed to be kind of a mirror of that. <sighs> The whole reason that Flynn, I think, was trying to build this world and trying to, because his initial idea was to create a world where there's no imperfections, where, you know, everything is great, there's no war, there's no this, is, which is like very subjective to his idea of... To an American white man's idea. Correct. Yeah. And because it's easier to start over than it is to rebuild. Damn. And so... That's good. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. So, of course, he's going to want to spend more time in the digital world and try to build this thing because not only is it easier to build something new, but it's easier to build something new when it's in your own ideal perfection, like your own utopia. And when you're in control of that utopia also. Correct. So what Clue represents is kind of the mirror of that. So he is in the system and he feels like he's gotten it as good as he can, but to me, it feels like he thinks the users need to be wiped out because they're using him or they're using, they are part of the problem. Because otherwise, why the fuck would he care? Why the fuck would he want to go outside of this? Or if that's not how he feels, it's because he knows that this place is a little bit fucked up. He knows Flynn exists here. So it's easier to try to start over somewhere else. In the real world. Rather than trying to fix up the problems and the shit that he's made here. Not realizing that when he goes to the other side, he can't do that shit where, oh, you're an accounting program? No, I'm reprogramming you, and you are now a war bot. A soldier. He makes a whole fucking army, yeah. American colonialism. (laughs) So I think that's another thing is just uh, the grass is always greener. You always want what you can't have. It seems easier to try to go outside of what you know and change it rather than do what you need to do in your own situation to get to where you need to be. And also because men in power always want to expand their power. That too. Manifest mm-hmm. destiny. They don't want Yum. to take care of it. They just want more of it. I conquered it. Next thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mommy, I'm bored with this toy. What's the next <laughs> one? And there's like at the end too, like when they're reintegrating Clue and... Flynn. Yeah. God, I suck at names. But like when they're reintegrating and everything, like Clue is like telling him, he's like, I just try to do what you told me to do. Like, I tried to do what you programmed me to do. And he's like, I know, buddy. It's cool. But, like, the whole time, the whole fucking situation, this whole thing happened because Jeff Bridges' character could not fucking say, I fucked up. I'm sorry. 
and he couldn't fix his own mistakes. He couldn't face himself. It was harder for him to say, shit, I fucked up. He would rather see genocide happen. He would rather see people in poverty. He would rather see, you know, this totalitarian state that it is and never see his fucking family or his son again because he done fucked up. So that brings us actually to our next topic, which is the sponsorship of the show, Talkspace. (laughs) (laughs) Why we should go to therapy and learn how to talk about our feelings. Just cry. Just cry. Just literally cry. You'll feel better. For a second. Just cry about something instead of being tough Batman. I'm going to. Nobody likes it. uh, It's boring. We don't. And it's like, well, men are just wired different. Shut up. Oh, my God. Just cry. Just cry. Literally just cry. Cry and be vulnerable. Feel small. And then you can grow up. And it's so nice. And it feels so good. And you're going to be so much better for it. You're going to stop ruining your friends and family relationship dynamics because you just don't know how to handle your own stuff. You're going to causing genocide. Apparently, causing genocide. Yeah. Oh my god. I mean, I am convinced that that's how every war has been started. It's just some stupid guy who doesn't know how to fucking cry about something (laughs) or gets mad about some small thing that, if he knew how to use his words eloquently and empathetically, would be able to resolve this small issue that gets blown up into some big, huge, disproportional thing. Where he's like, "We need to kill every one of them. Go to sleep." now yes yes please so boring it's just like it's so boring i don't know literally though go to therapy just everyone go to therapy i also found like (sighs) both the villain and this one and the last one like you know the it felt like yeah okay like the the real villain is you yourself you know and what you want and what you think that you want but then the thing that was just really tiring for me is just making like, oh, it's the big bad, and you know it's the big bad because it's this militarized totalitarian state, yeah. and it's just like because what it's harder to make a, uh, it's a harder to make villain, yeah, or like <laughs> a, it's harder for that. So we just need to go fucking all the way in. It's only it's only bad. There's no good. It's only bad. It's it's just so boring. Like you're saying, it's like first order, or it's like every other fucking movie like communism is bad all this other stuff it's like it's the go-to for american audiences because we hate any system of government that isn't ours that's why we're anti-socialism anti-communism i mean right rightfully anti-fascism but like anything that's different is bad and this government is different than ours therefore they're villains and we're not going to talk about it yeah but we believe us they're bad trust me yeah but i do think you hit you hit it right on the head right out of the gate this is a boomer story this is written by boomers for boomers to explain why conservative values are more important than the well-being of the world. And also, I had a thought when I was watching the end of this movie, too, similar to that, going off that, of we have to deal with this reality where Clue is the villain, but Clue is Flynn. Like, mm-hmm. he is his avatar. We talked about what avatars represent before. Clue represents Flynn's avatar. So we have this problematic situation where the avatar of our hero is also our villain, which means it was kind of in him all along this kind of or at least these tendencies mm-hmm. and i think one of the ways they kind of visually represent that oh no don't worry flynn's different is or at least try to without a lot of critical thinking is when cora gets captured for, again for literally no fucking reason but she gets captured and clue goes up to her and he's like oh i've got you and he like brushes his hand against her face oh, all God. fucking creepy and like tucks her hair behind her ear and it's like as the audience we we cringe right because oh my god what a fucking creep 
Oh, but then, but Flynn never touched her. Flynn just helped her and taught her to read fucking dead white authors, dead white male authors. So I think that's like one of the ways to like, oh, look, but like Flynn's okay because he didn't touch her, but Clue's creepy because he touched her because Clue represents 1985 Flynn. And, you know, back then we didn't know any better. That's just the way we were. You know, it was just boy talk, locker room talk. But now in 2010, now, now we've grown. So now it's okay. So my shitty past behavior that represents me in Clue in this form that that was the old me. Don't hold me to those same standards because now I'm 2010 guy. Now I'm cool. Yeah. Fuck, that's so so good. my behavior's forgiven, right? LOL. It's it's saying essentially that physical abuse is more important than mental or emotional abuse because if we're talking about exactly the dynamic between Jeff Bridges and Cora, that's he's essentially grooming mm-hmm. like a lot of people yeah. do with young yep. women is grooming these young girls to be somebody that they objectify later, that they desire later, and that's disgusting and it's. It's abuse in the same way that physical abuse manifests itself, whether physically or whether sexually or otherwise. But we as the audience, like you said, we cringe because we see the physical manifestation of that abuse. But when we're talking about that other thing, well, it's harmless. Yeah. It's harmless to to read. Dead white male authors. Yeah. And then also, too, like you were saying, Danny, like because we didn't know better before and we do Mm -hmm. now, then it's fine. It's not fine. It doesn't make it okay. I mean, these problems were always there. You were just too privileged to see it. Exactly. And you like, and you weren't affected by it. And yeah, I think that that's really the thing. And I think it's just fucking disgusting that that's allowed to be the narrative. And then that's kind of uh, like, oh God, it's just so it's, tiring. It's, yeah. It's, it's another example of boomers justifying their, or not even boomers, anybody justifying their past behavior. In this case, I get the sense that it is boomers, but older men, men in general, whatever, justifying their past behavior of like, oh, I didn't know, but I'm cool now, so don't worry about it. Like, well, and there's, there's like, I don't need to, I don't need to say sorry because it was a different I'm, time. Because it's a different time and I'm different now. And there is something to be said about like restorative justice and things like that, but that's not what we're talking about here, yeah. right? Because, oh God, this is such a fucking big, big, hard conversation that like everybody's still kind of figuring out like what the fuck to do with this right but like the thing to do about it is not to say like oh it's different times it was before i like blackface wasn't okay like fuck off that has never been okay (laughs) you know it's like well it was just different time no that was still a disgusting choice that you made you didn't have a lot of people telling you it was disgusting that's the difference Mm -hmm. yeah that's the difference. Well, and this is why it's so important to have, like, before a lot of these, like, what we'll call the boomer mentality was shaped by cis white dudes that had privilege and had power and that, you know, like, the system back then was working for them. There was a middle class. There was all of this. But now, because of, I, I believe, the rise of social media and things like that, everybody has a voice. And now, you know, we're talking about inclusion and we're talking about all of this stuff and how it's fucked up and how if there was, you know, a couple of women writers in this room... This would not have been an issue. This would not have happened, or it would have been handled so much better. And uh, it's so crazy to me that this is just like, what, nine years ago? Yeah. Like, even going back and looking at stuff nine years ago, this shit was still so fucked up. Yeah. And the way that they got so many people to see this and just not even really think about it is because they had so much nostalgia in this, in the way that they put things like the the door saying right oh it's a big door right the exact oh, the big red door the exact same thing lines in the first movie the exact same line um dillinger's kid dillinger's oh, kid yeah. is now the big bad which like let's talk about generational wealth and knowledge later because and that's nepotism. a big thing 
uh, oh, yes, yeah. and nepotism and all of that. What like, do you mean he earned it? I don't. Oh, I don't know what you mean. Right? <laughs> even the dis- even because Dillinger is disgraced at the end of Tron, so yeah. even the son of a disgraced white guy can. Why the fuck does he have a job? Yeah, yeah. It's called uh, they're called fail sons. But like the the people that wrote this movie, like so to clarify, I did still like this movie, but it's so I liked it because of those nostalgia factors because it was written by people that loved Tron. Yeah. By people that knew what they would want to see or what we would want to see, right? But that's also what held it back the most, too. We couldn't have another... We have Dillinger's son in here. All right, fine, whatever. Flynn literally capitalizes on his experience in the grid, right? Where he, like, makes all these video games and all this other stuff. And his kid is also wrapped up in that nostalgia. His fucking room is a shrine to Tron. And as somebody that was watching it, right, I was like, fuck yeah, because, like, I had some of those posters, you know? Like, I was just like, oh, this is so cool. But it was all just, like, to keep you focused on those moments and not the actual narrative that was at play. Yeah. And like you said, if there were different people in that writer's room, right, helping construct this narrative, a lot of these issues that made this story so shitty would have been solved within the first week. Because as soon as you start having these conversations about abuse, about inclusion, about objectification of women, all of these things, colonialization, you have all these conversations, that's where the writers of color would step up and be like, actually, no, your intent, like the intention in this storyline is this. Let's have a conversation about that now and about this and about inclusion. And then the women in the room would have been like, yeah, let's have a talk about exactly this. Like, you're writing from what you know, and this is a very white male perspective. You're writing from this because you've been allowed to write these stories forever. So if there's anybody else in there to actually give some sort of, I ha- I've lived this life. Like, let's talk about what that means to me and what I see when you say something or do or write a narrative like that. It would have been different. And I think mm-hmm. you're exactly right. It's exactly what held this back. Because visually, the movie was dope. I loved all the action scenes and all like, what is the term for dying? Derez. 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 Whenever they would derez, gorgeous. They turned into like these crystallized pieces of glass. Like it sounded awesome. It looked awesome. The sets were cool. Some of the world building was like whatever, but like generally it was really, really it was aesthetically pleasing. I was so visually, I was just like, ooh, candy. There was so much there. It's like, but the Daft Punk soundtrack too. It's like, oh, fuck yeah, gorgeous, fuck yes. yeah. And like, so oh, all of so these things too. were so, so, so in its favor. But again, if we're talking about stories, which this podcast talks a lot about, the story was so bad because it was so, so exclusive to the American narrative of storytelling that, again, just resolidifies the patriarchy, it reupholds these ideals and these standards of whiteness in Western culture, and that's why this movie. I liked it. But I didn't... Okay. I said I liked it in a way in that sentence that made it seem like I said that I liked the patriarchy, like that thing. No. I liked the movie. <laughs> yeah. For what Thanks it for was. Thanks for clearing that up. Okay. I just don't... Because I know there was like in the same sentence, there may or may not have been a comma and or period there, and I'm not sure where that <laughs> lies. But I liked the movie for what it was. The story was garbage. God-awful trash. It was pleasing to the senses, like the yes. eyes and the ears, and like, the, whoa, it's a thrill. It's a, it's yeah. a non-stop thrill ride, we yeah. have to quote on the back of the box or whatever. But then when you actually sit down to think about it, it's like, oh, well, well but that, shit. And <laughs> yeah. that's the shitty thing, right, is that we have to, like, in order to be like, oh, yeah, I like this movie, it's good. We actually have to, like, we're so distracted by all of those things that we have to, like, sit here and 
do a podcast to critically analyze the storytelling elements. And it's just, we're just so used to like seeing a piece of media and seeing it for what it is, not actually looking at the deeper narrative of what it's telling us and how those stories and how what it's saying is really affecting us. Yeah. And I'm so happy that people are doing that work now on a broader scale. And it's not just a bunch of white dudes critically looking at other white dudes work. You know, know, and I, and I will say like, even in this podcast, like right now we are all white. Like that is just a fact. So sorry. I know exactly. But that's a part of it. Like we all gain so much from a patriarchal white supremacist structure. You and I, Danny, more so than Jess because of that patriarchal aspect. Sorry again. Again, Yeah. But but it's recognizing the structure itself and then through this process of communication and conversation, dismantling it in a way or at least attempting to by way of exposing it in that way, right? Having the conversation about these stories and why they're problematic and why even if it felt like, well, that's just how this story went. No, that's not how this story went. That was a choice. These people made this choice and it's coming from a perspective. Change it or give somebody else a fucking voice. Give somebody else a chance. Well, and the thing that we can do as people that have that privilege is yeah. bring people up, Yeah, you know, um, make sure that like in our humor and, you know, in our stories that we're not punching down. Yeah. And make sure that everybody has a chance to tell their story because it's like white stories are so boring. Yeah. Uh, I mean, at this point, that's just what all the stories that have existed for the most part. I mean, that we document at least. They're just for Western culture. For Western culture. Yeah. And so it's a matter of having the conversation to then be able to have these talks, but then also to like make the mistakes of it and then grow from them well, and then and acknowledging and admitting those mistakes and then learning from it. I just think that's, and that's the whole thing about this film, yeah, right? Yeah. The whole thing about this film is daddy Flynn could not say he fucked up and could not say sorry. And then when he did, it is such a cataclysmic event that like the whole fucking portal is like destroyed and all this other stuff. Like it's so monumental for this man to admit that he was wrong, that it literally like explodes. Like it causes like the two worlds to be separated. He's so afraid to be vulnerable. How wild. Yeah. Yeah. Can I say my joke? Please. Okay. Okay. So, the whole reason that Clue was able to find Flynn after supposed, like, years and years and years and years of looking and not finding him was because when Boy Wonder drove out on his bike and took it into the the main part of town, he forgot to drive in incognito mode. So, the cookies and everything were still there. So like a computer oh, website. I'm not sure that I delivered that well. You can, you no, can I say like it. it. It's fine. You can do it. Can do it. Don't mean to do the joke. No, no, it's sure. you your joke. You own that joke. I'm not going to take the woman's identity for my own benefit, God which is the end of this movie, by the way. There's a very I love that poignant moment at the end of this movie where they're all at this holy fucking teleportation temple, what the fuck ever, where Clue's trying to get out. And the only way they can get out is with Flynn's... His data disc? I- ident- identity disc. Yes. It's literally called an identity disc. It represents your whole identity as a person and everything that you come to know in this world and everything you've learned and everything you've ever experienced. He trades with Korra as the God trick. God damn the it, only right. way Korra gets out of this world is with Flynn's identity. He gives her his whole being and everything he represents, and now it's okay for her to pass through this literal 
gate. That's the only way she is allowed out to become, quote, a real person. He gave her a ring, and now she's his, and... And I mean, it is a ring. Well, and... he liked it, so he put a ring on it. And then look at that last scene when she's out there waiting with his bike. And then they go driving, and she's like, wow, look at this world. He is now, he gets to be that gatekeeper for her and mm-hmm. show her everything and be the one. The way he wants her to The way he wants it. her to perceive the world. And she's not wearing a helmet. You're the fucking Neither favorite humanity. Wear a fucking helmet, please. Yeah. And again, this film ends the exact same way as the other one, where... It's dark throughout the whole film. It's nighttime. It's ominous. It's all that shit. And then when they get out, all of a sudden it's daytime. And now it's a whole new day because he gets to show this woman a whole new life that's not dark anymore and not sad. He's the light of her life. Yeah. And the fact that it ends the exact same way, like, is such a final exclamation mark on the whole idea that this movie got as far as it did because of the nostalgia factor. This movie exists exists because of nostalgia. They, I mean, like, they want to be like, hey, remember? Well, even the the title, right? It's Tron Legacy. Legacy. Tron is in this for like maybe total five minutes. Yeah, and we don't really talk about him very much. It, we just refer to him as like he got corrupt, he got brainwashed, and but then he, he remembers did. at the end. So cool, thanks, Tron. And then he yeah, dies. Like, cool. Thanks. I fight for the user. No, you die for the user now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you drown for the user. So, like, even the title was just super nostalgic. Yeah, I think that's, and like I said, the way that ends is just, like, a, such a, it's one last, like, rubbing our face in it. Of, like, remember? Remember mm-hmm. all this? Remember how cool that was when you were a kid? Remember Thanks this? for <laughs> your money. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so, let's talk about the first one. Who is it for? Who is it for? Uh, the first one was for... Um, I think it was for uh, aspiring tech bros. Yeah. And just really anybody that loved video games. I'm going to just say generally it was for big, big asterisk nerds. That's me. <laughs> yeah. But again, big asterisk, whatever that means, but because it's such a generalized term, but that's what I think it was. That's who I think it was for. Yeah. Um, people who play video games are like, look, you can be a hero too. And like, uh-huh. or people uh-huh. who don't understand the internet and technology. Well, there was no internet. Well, also, people who don't understand computers, yeah. like, this is what it's like inside your computer. The programs are hanging out and playing uh, Pong and Death Frisbee and shit. Oh, oh, interesting. Okay, cool. Neat. All right. Um, so what did we think of it? Did we like it? I liked it. Yeah. I mean, again, for everything that it was, I still thought it was cool. I thought it was innovative visually because that obviously like kind of changed the game with mm. what could be possible. And it tried. It took a big old swing on some visual aesthetics. And I think it, it made a mark. It left a lasting impression enough to create an entire nostalgic fandom behind it to where it had the momentum it did to create the second one, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think you're right about the visual thing. I think if it had been less visually stunning, I don't think it would have held up oh, no. as well mm-hmm. in this, in this like, cult classic, whatever kind of... Do you know what this would have been if the visual impact didn't happen as hard as it did? What would that have been? This would have been that dumb, Incredible Hulk movie from the 70s. Or Hercules. Sorry. Um, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Hercules? No. Or no, that was Conan. It was uh, Lou Ferrigno. I think it was Lou Frigno. No? Am I crazy? Am I wrong? Am I wrong? Am I making this up? Did I have a dream about this? I don't know. You know what? 
yell at me. My handle is elafibri on every platform. If I'm wrong, <laughs> please just at me. Tell me how ridiculous this sounds. And it would have it would have been that, or it would have been any shitty early '80s generic action movie. Yeah, that like oh, this is kind of neat, but then it's really forgettable except for like a small sect of people. Whereas this one's like. Oh, we all love Tron, and if you don't like Tron, oh, what's wrong with you? Kind of yeah. thing. Like one of those movies where if you don't like it, people are like, "Oh my god, why?" Yeah, it's like, "Oh shit, sorry." <laughs> but I mean, I do like it though. Yeah, same. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like the fandom can be a little bit gatekeepery on it. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. So, the next John, John Legacy, was it new or interesting? Um, it progressive, was, regressive. It was regressive. And it was more visually interesting than the first. I think what it excelled at was those awesome visuals and giving exactly what the fandom wanted, which was crispy, crispy candy visuals of the beautiful and the wonderful and fantastic. Give me all of that. (laughs) And so many Easter eggs. And so many. They just played into it. But it was incredibly regressive narratively and was just so, so poorly written. This is not good. That wasn't good. Yeah. In that aspect. But visually, I was like, mm, If you turn off your brain and just let your eyes and your ears experience it, like, I bet this was fucking awesome in 3D or IMAX. Like, oh, for was. sure. Yeah. It was like, he's like, just fucking candy. Just, num- yeah, like, yeah. Oh, give it to me. Yes, yeah. in my veins. Yeah. Daft Punk. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Laser bikes. Fuck yeah. Yeah. All this cool shit. And then you think about it and go, oh, actually, well, hmm. The first time I saw this movie, I saw this movie in theaters when it came out, and I was like, fuck Yes, I love this movie. I'm fucking ready for this to be a franchise. The Killian Murphy cameo, I was like, sweet, they're building up to be the villain in part two. Yeah. Like, I'm into it. I'm ready. I'm so ready. And one of the reasons that I wanted to be on this episode of the podcast is not because I, like, worship the original Tron necessarily, but because I wanted to, like, yell and complain that the all the Tron sequels got canceled. Yeah. Like, fuck, I wish there were more Tron movies. And now watching it again in 2019, I'm like, uh, okay, all right, uh, hmm. I I still like it for those reasons of it's pretty and it's got the fucking cool ass. It's a cool movie, like cool in that sense of like, I don't know, just cool. But visually cool. Visually cool, like viscerally cool. Yeah. It appeals to my senses. Yeah. Yeah. As long as I don't think about it too much. It's a, it's a five chewing gum commercial. Yeah. I mean, like, chewing gum's a good example. Like, oh, it's really good. It's really good. And then it's yeah. gone in five seconds and now I want to spit it out. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, I definitely um, changing my opinion based on this new viewing. So also same, yeah, yeah, like damn, like that boomer thing just hit so hard. It was so good, so hard, damn, I mean, damn. Especially, so I mean, good. especially in 2019. Like I know the movies in 2010, but like in 2019, it's just fucking worse. Yeah, yeah. so really for real. Um, who do we think this was for? Boomers, like <laughs> straight up white boomers. Tron fans like this is just this movie exists because of nostalgia oh more so than I think a lot of remakes like a lot of remakes are just like oh it'd be cool to reimagine this this is just like fucking remember remember Tron here you go especially with all the all the easter eggs like there's the exact same lines of dialogue a couple times there's a lot of the same plot points a bit, there's a big red door yeah <laughs> it feels very similar like it's it feel, and it feels similar on purpose like it's for Tron lovers specifically yeah yeah it felt like a love letter to the fandom yeah from a boomer's perspective. Mm-hmm. Well, a white male's perspective of a lot of ages. Oh, yeah. Even though Sam's our mirror, as since we are all shitty millennials on this podcast, um, LOL, 
<laughs> he's like lol instead of laughing out loud right that's uh, that's computer <laughs> so speak for laughing out loud grandpa yeah. um anyways he's not listening he's not listening yeah. <laughs> he doesn't know how to work a fucking you. computer um <laughs> he doesn't know what a podcast is yeah. so like even though through that one viewing he's like our foil so we're supposed to be like oh cool but the way they wrote him is he sucks so because he's a white dude who gets yeah. everything he wants and that sucks so yeah <sighs> how did you feel about this Oh, what do you think? You think it was it was for the fandom? I think it was for the fandom, like because I knew I knew a lot of people that were super super excited. So yeah. uh, I was the asterisk asterisk big nerd. You yeah. Know? And, uh, spoiler alert: I hung out with big nerds. You yeah. Know? And I use that term lovingly, and and so do I. Yeah, that like, was a hundred percent in a loving way. I know you do. I just want to okay. clarify. Yes, but absolutely. um, and I wear that with like a badge of honor. You yeah. know, I you know. I do the convention thing. I do all this other stuff. But yeah, it was when it came out, like I remember the marketing was phenomenal for mm-hmm. this. Like they didn't just take so much care with the film. They took care with everything around it. And they did stuff for like the arena scene, for instance. It was the actual audience from the Comic-Con Hall H panel that made it into the film. Oh, wow. You know, they did so much because they knew who their audience was. And they just gave them everything they wanted. And they let them play into it. They let them... Like, they actually let them be a part of the film. And I think that there's something really great and wonderful about that as somebody that's, like, such a big fan of a property. But I was just really bummed that that the story sucked so bad. Yeah. And I think because of that nostalgia factor, they felt like they could kind of skate by on the story of, Mm -hmm. like... What's the movie about? I don't know. It's his son, and they fight on bikes, and there's a girl. It doesn't matter. Tron, though. Look Green at the lights. Light. Well, yeah. it's like, what's going to look cool? Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they did an awesome job with marketing. Again, they did they did a great job with everything that I wanted them to do was done. So it was, it was done by a fan for fans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is awesome. And that's cool that that... It's cool when a franchise remembers where it comes from and wants to give back to the people that made it big like this is such a huge cult classic yeah like i think we were talking about off air i guess that it kind of bombed the box office but then got really really popular once it came out like on vhs or whatever and then it's kind of weird the video game too the video game as well yeah and it's kind of weird that legacy also kind of bombed the box office which is why they canceled all the sequels yeah didn't really seem to catch on in that same kind of cult way maybe because people wised up i don't know i i just wish it had better writers if it had better writers like i this could have been amazing because they 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 got everything right they were fucking there and then they just dropped the ball on like one of the most important parts yeah you mean treating people well (laughs) i mean a lot yeah (laughs) yeah but anyways i think that's that's it it. that was strong yeah thank you danny for being here and giving us your gorgeous insight and critical brain thanks so much for having me this was a lot of fun and i enjoyed it Yes, thank you so much, Danny. We appreciate you, and thank you for everything you do to help us make this podcast happen. No problem. I can't wait to go back in my room and start editing this now. (laughs) Get ready to listen to your own voice. Oh my god, it's going to be terrible. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so thank you so much for listening. You can write into us at nostalgiapodcast at gmail dot com. 
please like subscribe the whole thing you know the deal uh, we're now on apple podcast stitcher spotify all the places that you get your podcasts so let us know what you think yeah. and if you have any ideas for future episodes for us we have a giant queue but we're always looking for more ideas mm-hmm. so um you can reach out to us at that email or all the social medias we're nostalgia.pod uh, on yeah. instagram and pretty much and Twitter too, right? I think so. Yeah. Well, also, five star all of our stuff if you like it. Write reviews for us if you like it. And yeah, we're just gonna keep doing this because it's fun, and we love y'all, even if you don't love us. Yeah. Um, we want to thank David Tricero for providing tech support, Danny Barkley for producing and editing. Hello. And thank you, Eric, for being wonderful. Thank you, Jess. This is a joy and a privilege, and I am very thankful to do this all the time. Me too. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.